Quiet Tribe, where you at? I hope you're ready, rising from the ashes and it's getting heavy Conspiracies, we got plenty and some are scary From aliens to Bigfoot, extraordinary, yeah, yeah Danunaki Dan and the homie Romy I was bugging out, all the crazy things he showed me Jesus bloodlines to the stars in the skies Always a good time, vibing with the fire tribe Hey, So wake up, wake up, get it cracking Rise out the ashes, I know you got a passion Kick off the combo with theories, many conspiracies Other dimensions, plenty ancient history Fire tribe, where you at? Wake up we about to get into it I know you can't get enough At home, at work It don't matter, turn it up Rising from the ashes You know what's up Hey, uh, Rising from the ashes Yo, what's up, Fire Tribe? Welcome to Rising From the ashes I'm Danny Unaki Dan I'm the homie Romy What's up, Danny? What up, man? What up? So today on the show, we have researcher Van Galt. Also author. Researcher and author Van Galt. (laughs) Yes. Um, She's awesome. It's a great episode about Lemuria. We also get into some spirituality and some little woo-woo stuff about Lemuria which is also fascinating and does connect into the whole overall story. Uh, just like I read last week with Marco Vigato, there seems to be this conclusive thing of like these root races and these different periods and epics and this like, I don't know, like cultivating of a new higher consciousness, right? you kind of see this over and over this cultivation of a higher consciousness that's supposed to be spread into humanity. And it's like an ongoing theme through all kinds of different uh, religious texts and whatnot, especially from the East. And so we, we do get into that a little bit and uh, it's fantastic though, but uh, what you got going on Roman? Well, yeah, this episode's really good, y'all. Uh, she's one of um, Sam Tripoli's favorite guests. Uh, I was talking to Mark. I was like, oh, yeah, we got this sweet guest that no one else has ever had. And then I told him, and he's like, oh, yeah, no, she's been on Sam's show <laughs> multiple times, and he loves her. And I was like, damn it. But, yeah, no, she's really great, y'all. Um, what I got going on? Well, um you guys are amazing for listening to the show um and i want to let you know on a little secret um because i've been waiting to kind of bring it to fruition but um i'm going to be moving back to hawaii in may and i have a gofundme page because we got property and we're starting a farm and we have a goal and we are already on the way to the goal. There's been people donating. Um, you know, I'm also offering something with this. This isn't just, you know, hey, help me support the dreams and have sustainable agriculture on hand. But also, if you donate anything, you are more than welcome to plan a trip out to the island. I will pick you up from the airport. I will bring you to the farm. We will stargaze. You can hang out. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to pay for lodging. Um, that, that's one of the benefits, you know, I want to bring and and offer on the table. I will host you and show you around. Um, it's, uh, it's been a long time coming of manifesting this type of dream to happen. I've been 
living on Hawaii off and on for about 10 plus years now. And um, there's been a lot of draw to me going back and, and trying to just maybe set up more roots. And, um, and when it comes to farming and being in the dirt and the soil, it's one of the most comfortable places I can be. So that, my friends, is something that's happening. Um, you know, we'll post the link, right, in the show notes or on Telegram. Um, and yeah, just go check it out. Don't feel obligated by any means, but go check out the page. See if it's something you're interested in. And if you want to support, support. If not, you know, thank you anyway. Like, we love you. And uh, thank you so much for, you know, just giving us support on the show and listening. So it's always enough for me. Yeah, man. And also go check out the Patreon. Yes. <laughs> Always go check out the Patreon. We have many, many new things coming up for the Patreon, new plans, new all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, so $3, get in where you fit in, you know? Hey, <laughs> you know, that's right. Yeah. So on to business, let's get into that, uh, News you can trust. Angel dies. Also, by the way, uh, I would like people to write into the show at risingftashes at yahoo.com and give us some suggestions on the show. Here's what we want to know Do you guys like our intros? Are they too long? Do you wish we didn't have intros? Do you think intros are good? Would you pay extra for them? What do you dislike and like about the show? We are really serious about this. We do want to know what you dislike. We're trying to make it more entertaining for everybody. We know our shows are fucking three hours long, which is super fucking long. I happen to like long shows because it gets me through the day a lot faster and I don't have to look for more shows, but we are curious because we do have the Patreon going. Now we are trying to put extra bonus stuff over in the Patreon area. And these intros do take time for us to do. And so, you know, we want your opinions. Do you like them? Do you not like them? Please let us know uh, because the future of the show Depends on you, Fire Tribe. So let us know. But let's get into that RFTA, RFTA news. Roman, what you got? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just really quick wanted to also shout out our Patreon subscribers. Um, just because, you know, that's an extra little benefit of being as, uh, you know, up and out is that you get shouted out. So I'm going to say, Kaylee, what up? Thank you. Juan. Yes. Juan from the TJ OJP. Mama T. Laura Dyer. And Bruce Dettori. Wow. That's what you get when you sign up. You get a lot of love. So slide on through. Yeah. Slide on through. Anyways. Slide on through. Um. So last week, I brought up Atlantis birthing the original Egyptian culture and that, that concept, right? Well, picture this. Close your eyes, everybody. Picture this. 
you're living in a perfect land and a perfect time, the golden age. Everything is seemingly still and beautiful and etheric. The deluge begins. The deluge begins. Massive flooding, quakes, wind, lightning. Survivors quickly find boats and head to open waters looking for land, any land. And these people of this time, this antediluvian, antiquated time, they had an expansive understanding of the cosmological layout of the sky map. Now, this would be a very interesting time period for these people. Granted, very stressful, stranded, with limited technology on open waters. We can only ponder what was being discussed, elaborated, and argued about. To what stories we have in current society that stems from their time between time, time spent on open waters. You know, to me, I, I thought that was really interesting in this conversation with Vaughn that we had, that I had like this little epiphany of, okay, there's this deluge. Okay, that means there's people on the water. That means, you know, naturally, like for the most part, they had a, a, a grasp on astrological understanding. So now they have nothing to do but look up at the sky. And so, you know, this time period of whether or not they regarded the planets as gods or they regarded the planet as a theater as where these, these scripts were being played out and spiritual things were happening. Then they get put into just that where they have everything that they knew at one point, and now they're on the open water living that life. You know, I, I think it's something to think about um, because we talk about before the deluge, talk about the deluge, talk about after. We never talk about during, you know, like what, what, like with powerful, like withstandings happened or any, any stories like that. I find that fascinating, but it makes sense to me logistically that the Atlanteans would go towards Africa, right? That's um, really close land to the, um, the East there. And through uh, Ignatius Donnelly's work, we know that they definitely settled in the Americas as well. But what about Lemuria? And what direction would they go? If they were in fact, separate continents existing at the same time of the deluge, um, you know, one in the Pacific, one in the Atlantic. That's pretty much the basic understanding of the both two lost continents. What would Lemuria go? Where would they go? Well, they would most likely inhabit what we would call Asia. And in today's episode, shall continue deeper on that. Vaughn brings up very exciting information on this topic. But what I want to build on is this. Lemuria being the root of what we love to speculate on. Tartaria. It is also speculated that Lemuria was actually before Atlantis, right? Like you said. And she 
had faced many cataclysms. I do say she as in Lemuria because it sounds more like a feminine name and Atlantis has more of a masculine sounding name to me. Okay. So it is also speculated that Lemuria was actually before Atlantis and she had faced cataclysms of her own starting the original shift of the poles. So this would be the three breaks of Atlantis. If Atlantis was a time period, um, you know, it could be Lemuria was the original Atlantis that broke into and broke up. And then that would make, you know, the second um, existence of the kingdom of Atlantis, which you brought up in Marco's book last time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we'd go into the third, which would be where all the lands were completely sunken underwater at this point. Um, and having to spread out a lot further onto the other continents and not living so much as island peoples. And, um, you know, though the original barbarian coast is on the northern Africa, where the Atlanteans would have nestled, it's still speculation in my eyes that Lemuria would be the original Tartarians because they would have gone into Asia. Um, you know, the, the word barbarian and Tartarian have been, you know, said they're the same, mm-hmm. but there is a barbarian or the Berber people were of Africa. Um, but yeah. also, so were the Moors. So were the Moors of Africa. So it's like, was Lemuria and Mu this land before Atlantis? Something happens, they break and it goes to these other continents because people let us not forget when we're talking about Lemuria and Atlantis, it's not like these were the only lands that existed. It's these lands existed as well. And they were home to kingdoms because most likely they were large continents surrounded all by water. So therefore you could have a kingdom that could be very well guarded, right? That's why they were held as these high lands because they were mountainous terrains in the water. And so that's why Poseidon and Neptune and all these water gods were known as this, um, you know, this time period. So, you know, it's speculation, like I said, right. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it's really interesting to think about Lemuria being the original Tartarian, Berberian, Moors, Moorish, Moos, and Atlanteans being the Greeks and the Egyptians. Um, and then later into the Vedas. And that's, that's really what I got from my writing this week, but I wanted to read just a quick um, serped from the same book as last week, because I think we're going on that theme where we're both going to read from the same book every week. So we can kind of go deeper into those concepts, right? Yeah. Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, page 50. Um, the possibility of Asia having been colonized by Atlantean Amerindians. Modern anthropology regards the Americas as having been only much more recently colonized from Asia via the Bering Strait during a period when the polar ice cap had receded very considerably. This theory seems to be founded on the theory of the pecking man, believed to be far more ancient than the American Indian stock which was of very short stature and grew in height and general size only when exposed to the better diet and environment provided by the Americas. Once he arrived there, Donnelly's theory denies such probability on a very much broader and better supported front that, if true, would 
tend to support the idea that it was, in fact, some of the ancestors from the Atlantean Indians who gave rise to the Eskimos and Sino-Mongolian stock. Migration in ancient times possibly retreated northward at a period when the sea level in the tropics was rising threateningly high. It is already recognized by modern science that animal-human physique will always quite quickly tend to produce consistently smaller offspring when faced with persistent environmental and psychological deprivation. Conversely, a congenial environment and wide diets will not by themselves cause a naturally small race to grow. As a witness of peoples of the Southeast Asia, consequently, a redescending polar ice cap cutting off any retreat back to the North American mainland could well not have only isolated a such far-flung Atlanteans from their ancestral roots, but probably also led to their at least partial degeneracy amid a strange new environment. This sounds like an Atlantic, or uh, sorry, uh, Atlantis, all land is ice, time period, sir. When one otherwise takes into consideration the archaeological and paleontology are currently talking about a period of anything between 20,000 and 40,000 years for the complete theoretical colonization of both North and South America from scratch. The fact of racial diversification and the multihued of the otherwise physically characteristic ethnic types described by Donnelly is thrown into an even sharper relief. Modern science's current review, when objectively considered, shows not only a little common sense, but also considerable partiality in selecting its evidence. Origins of Indo-Aryan Humanity This, however, in a somewhat roundabout way, brings us back to the ancient Egyptians. Because of the records of the Brahmins of India, remarkably refer to the immediate ancestors of the Indo-Aryan peoples as having been evolved just over a million years ago from a rootstock of the late Atlantean extraction, located somewhere in the north of the Himalayas. At the same time, they refer to other human types, including giant Atlanteans, existing in the far earlier ages still. Blavatsky confirmed these ideas from her own oriental sources in the 1880s, although they were elsewhere indicated as ancient texts and also mentioned, as we saw in Chapter 2, that the last really stupendous series of worldwide cataclysm had occurred some 850,000 years ago, evidently long after such any Atlantis exodus to Asia. According to her, these cataclysms resulted in a reversal of the Earth's magnetic field lasting about 150,000 years and altered the whole geographic layout of the various Atlantic seaboards and of Europe and the Mediterranean as well. That such an event indeed took place around that time, although concluding many tens or even hundreds of thousands of years, is now confirmed that the paleomagnetic record. Now, the Great Library of Alexandria on the Mediterranean coast of Egypt the repository of some of the most ancient world's oldest records, was put to torch not just once, but three times by Julius Caesar, by a Christian mob, and by an Islamic caliph. Most of the records are deemed to have been destroyed 
although it seems that a few later found their way to Byzantium, and others may have well been stored safely elsewhere. However, the emperor Diocletian then had yet further esoteric works, again of the Egyptians, burned in AD 296 at both Alexandria and Byzantium. But if these records, ancient records, had remained intact and told the same story of Parunas in India or of an Egyptian civilization 100,000 years old, would they have been any more credible to modern historians? One doubts it. Manitho, Herodias, and Plato, and others of the soundest repute in their own time, are as branded by modern scholars as either imaginative retailers of myths or just liars. As Charles Hapgood reminds us in the maps of the ancient sea kings, the Romans in 142 BC also burned down the great library of Carthage, a repository containing half a million scrolls dealing with the historical, scientific, and other knowledge of the Phoenician peoples, as they were generally regarded as the world's most greatest seafaring nation of that time, from 3000 BC to 2000 BC, doubtless with detailed records of voyages to all parts of the world, and as well as associated maps. How much more knowledge was lost? As Carthage in modern Tunisia, facing Sicily, lay within the northwest African landmass of the Atlas Mountains, named after the Atlanteans, called by Homer and the Atlantes in his Odyssey. How far back in time might its records have gone? The same might be asked concerning the records of Central American Mayan peoples, ruthlessly destroyed by the Spaniards in the 16th century. Still notwithstanding that 95% of the ancient records may have been destroyed by the doyens of the emerging civilizations of our own millennia, we have proceeded on our retrospective quest with whatever information we can glean from other sources. As we shall see, there are fortunately several, not always exact or clear, but always definitely pointing in certain specific directions to begin with. Then, let us take the ethnography of Africa as a whole as it stands today. It is indigenous human stock that might be described as compromising five main types. Number one, the big bushmen of western southwestern Africa, a small twiddling continent now nearing extinction. Number two, the muscularly built native African type common the whole of Western Africa, culminating the Bantu stock of Southern Africa, which also extends northward into Eastern Africa. This is the largest single group, although itself highly mixed by local intermarriage with other racial types. The generally taller and slimmer Ethiopian type with a proud bearing and the sharply defined facial features commonly found in the Indian subcontinent. The Indo-European peoples of the Sahara and the northern Atlas area, the Maghreb, including the Moors and the nomadic Tuareg and Berber peoples. Number five, the Semitic Arab, believed to have originated in Arabia, who supposedly only migrated western as a tribal Bedouin across the Red Sea into Africa during the last 4,000 years or so. And it's rather interestingly that the root language of the Bantu peoples has been traced by philologists within the last 20 years back to West Africa, to the area between the Senegal and Sierra Leone that stands due east of the Cape Verde Islands. Other what period is the migration from there the southern, central, and eastern Africa took place? 
and in what numbers originally it is quite obvious or quite impossible to say. But a very ancient eastward migration there certainly once was. Where did the original peoples come from, however, and what made them move eastward? On a slightly different and darker note, the Atlanteans had a darkly powerful reputation in some quarters for the practice of sorcery. And one legend has it that the sorcery that led to Atlantis' downfall through some sort of semi-scientific interference in the balance of nature, curiously, the one of Africa best known for magic and sorcery, now known more under the general idea of voodoo, is that part of West Africa, which we have just been discussing. It was from this very area that such practices were transported across the Atlantic to the Caribbean and the Americas via the slave trade during the 16th to 18th centuries. Atlantean migrations and continental submersion. If such an inhabited landmass once existed in the general area between the tropics, there would be little doubt or hesitation in labeling the original continent of Atlantis in line with the description given by Blavatsky and suggested by others such as Ignatius Donnelly. However, even from the Piri-Rays maps, it is difficult, if not impossible, to point with sustainable logic into an obviously suitable location. So we are almost inevitably drawn back to the general probability of an at least original large continental landmass, large enough to evolve such a racial type into the mid to western Atlantic. Probably the colonies to the east and the west is what it is now. West Africa and Central America, it is at least logical to assume that with the sudden or more probably progressive destruction of such a landmass, perhaps accelerated by sharply rising sea levels, any fugitives or colonists would have been forced to take shelter on high ground, such as found in those same areas of Africa and America. Bearing in mind also how loath people are to leave their homes and country, even when faced with the most obviously imminent natural disaster, we can safely assume that the ancient Atlanteans, wherever located, watched their civilization gradually disappear before their very eyes and then perished in the mass when escape ultimately became impossible. So, if we look at a relief map of Western and Central Africa, we see that the Southern Sahara Desert is areas regarded as once having an active barrier, owing to its having been the bed of the eastern extension of the Atlantic Ocean at some past time. Such a migration would have been forced to follow the line of Central African highlands due eastward before being able to turn south toward the Congo and its huge river delta. The latter, at that time, may still itself only have been open marshy landscape rather than the present largely jungle terrain. Consequently, any further migration in a southerly direction might not have been possible for a considerable period of time, perhaps even tens of thousands of years, allowing plenty of time for degeneracy into Neanderthal man or Western African equivalent. Ooh, racist. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but also very interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your take, brother? Yeah, that's all solid information on in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's a lot there to unpack. 
Um, (laughs) You know, and, and he, I like how he brings up Blavatsky as well. um, Because it it brings in that Eastern, you know, look into this, which is really important. Um, I have the secret doctrine and I'm only like into the chapter one. So like, it's a pretty dense fucking book too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was, I was able to pick up that book too from a used bookstore and uh we read a little bit from there uh about Lemuria and stuff on uh some Navier Alora episodes, I believe. Um so Oh wow, you're gonna have to re you're gonna have to rebring that out, brother. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Make it relevant again because uh you know, maybe just like maybe we can even just clip in the, the reading that you already oh, had and uh well like edit it up or something that'd be kind of cool well when i read uh when i read from this right here uh this marco vigato book the empires of atlantis uh he he kind of cites blavatsky a lot too and and some of her findings so it's it's in here too so oh sweet we'll be going over it again anyhow but uh i kind of took a couple passages and and i'm i'm gonna do several of them uh, short ones, and uh, this one is uh, the history of the early races, and it says very little can be said of the two first root races, the Polarian and the Hyperborean, for they were entirely, entirely immaterial, formed of eth- formed of etheric matter, and did not possess as such a history of their own. They inhabited an imperishable sacred land, which tradition equates with the North Pole, not the physical one, however, but the true occult Mount Maru. For this reason, all connections of the first two races with physical geography are necessarily tenuous. The third root race, the Lumerian, was the first to take on physical bodies, although of a still primitive nature. It inhabited a vast southern continent called Lemuria, which extended over a large part of what is now the Indian and Atlantic Oceans. The Atlantean root race, which followed the Lemurian, was the first truly human and terrestrial race. This race inhabited a much larger continent than just Atlantis of Plato, stretching across much of the northern and southern Atlantic Ocean. According to Blavatsky, the race of Plato's Atlantis was little more than a postscript, a mere degenerate descendant of the great Atlantean race of nearly 850,000 years earlier. Boom. The history the history of the fifth root race that of present humanity, the Aryan, is of little interest to us here. Suffice to say that it was believed to have evolved from the few survivors of the Atlantean root race who had taken refuge in the region of the present Gobi Desert at the time of one of the great terrestrial cataclysms that rent the continent of Atlantis. So that's a bombshell right there 850,000 years ago anyway and let's let's picture this guys when he's talking about the uh indian atlantic ocean 
we're talking about all those little micro islands down there as yeah, well as the Philippines. What is Australia? Yeah. What is Australia too? And what is New Zealand? Yeah. Which is all massive islands, you know? So yeah, that's really fucking cool just to visualize that. Yeah. Uh, this next little passage is called the rain of the watchers in the Levant. Whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. He said Hyperborean and Polaris were the first race. Yeah. And the Polaris or the Polarians is from white, the Polaris star. Yeah. I'm assuming. Right. And then, so these are etherically up in the Northern part of the planet towards the North pole, but then the Lumerians come in towards the South pole. So I'm wondering if that, how, how that like, was it, was it through the toroid? And bust it out through the bottom, or there was a more significance of the lower half of, you know, was it working its way up? Or did we start down here mm. in Lumeria and then work our way upwards? That's, that's, I don't know. Possibly even Antarctica was part of Lumeria, in, in my opinion. It very well could be. Yeah. Or, or that it was of something else. It maybe it was a different lost continent that we are unaware of by a different name obviously obviously we know antarctica is exists possibly i mean we don't know but (laughs) (laughs) uh but possibly in in pop cultural belief it's the south pole right but maybe it existed not at the south pole before and it wasn't covered in ice and it existed somewhere in the atlantic or something or pacific and yeah, it, I mean, and then after the I, earth I, tilted, I, it, then it went down to the South Pole. Yeah, I over. definitely, definitely think that 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 holds some credibility to at least the stories in which we've been told throughout the mythos and the theos. Yeah, you know that it, yeah. it holds validity. You know, like that that Atlantic, uh, sorry, Antarctica from the Atlantic, Atlantic. You know, like it just. Yeah. Anyways, please continue reading Marco's beautiful book. You're doing a great job. And sorry to also, I made beef stroganoff last night. Um, and I did it with beets. I did beef and beets. Okay. Oh man, it was so good. Yeah. You, you boil the beets. Anyways, anyways, please continue. Oh shit. Uh, the reign of the watchers in the Levant. Ancient mythologies and archaeological remains testify to the existence of a very ancient ties between I- Egypt and the Levant since at least the late uh, I covered up my shit. Uh, uh, ancient mythologies and archaeological remains testify to the existence of very ancient ties between Egypt and the Levant since at least the late Neo-Atlantean period. According to uh, Sanchoniathon and Philo of Byblos, Egypt and Phoenicia existed as sister nations, each ruled by the sons and daughters of Kronos, the Atlantean Saturn. The whole region contains extensive megalith ruins particularly in the area around Mount Hermon and the ancient cities of Heliopolis, Baalbek, Damascus, and Jerusalem. Along the coast, the ancient cities of Tyre, 
Byblos, Beirut, and Eridus testify to the intensity of commercial relationships and ties between Egypt and the Levant. Many of these sites bear a significant association with the fallen angels and their Nephilim progeny. It was in the area around Mount Hermon that, according to biblical sources, the Watchers first took mortal wives and taught humanity the secrets of heaven. Mount Hermes. Yeah. Mountain of knowledge. And then it says, uh, Karsag, where heaven and earth met, the Karsag tablets studied and translated by the Christian and Barbara O'Brien tell the story of how the watchers there called Ananaj or shining ones established the first Anunnaki established the first agricultural communities in the region around Mount Hermon. The account has many parallels with their apophical book of Enoch, and it provides an almost unique glimpse in the everyday life of the Neo-Atlantean settlement in the highlands of the ancient Near East. Prior to the arrival of Ananaj, the region was inhabited by primitive hunter-gatherers who lived a miserable existence of sustenance in the mountains. The Ananaj taught them how to plow and irrigate the land, plant fruit trees, and sow grains of different kinds. They introduced domesticated sheep and cattle and taught the people how to build with wood and stone. The Ananaj also established a number of command centers across the Near East, the most important which were located in Jerusalem and Baalbek, the Atlantean Temple Mount of Jerusalem. The origin of Jerusalem's Temple Mount are lost in the midst of prehistory. The site contains the largest megalithic stone platform in the world, measuring 488 by 315 meters. That's 1,601 by 1,033 feet as its widest, enough to contain three great pyramids, a holy site for the three great monotheistic religions. The Temple Mount rests on gigantic megalithic foundations with some stones weighing over 500 tons. The temple itself was almost entirely rebuilt by King Herod in 19 BCE in the shape of a square measuring one stadium on each side. According to the testimony of Josephus, it was built of stones, white and strong, each having the enormous dimensions of the 25 cubits long, 8 cubits high, and about 12 cubits in breadth. The depth of the foundations was immense, reaching 300 cubits. At their deepest, when completed, it was itself the most prodigious work that was ever heard of by man. Yet it is unclear how much of this stupendous structure was, in fact, the product of Herod's work and how much this king had simply appropriated and restored. Uh, That chapter goes on, but I'm going to go to the next little passage that I wanted to read, and it's called the Roma Empire. The Rama Empire. The Rig Veda, the oldest of the Hindu Vedas, speaks of a great flood from which only seven sages were saved in an ark that landed on the mountains of the Himalaya. This group of sages, known as the Saptarishi, 
or the seven rishis was responsible for preserving the word of the Vedas through the flood and for repromulgating it to post-Diluvian humanity. The Vedas, writes Grant Hancock, depict the Septarishi as a lineage of ascetics. After the flood, their primary abode was the Himalayas, where they would retreat and meditate and perform austerities. But they also played decisive roles in running and recording secular affairs and in the making and guidance of kings. It is certainly tempting to connect this legend to the many others that circulate throughout Central Asia concerning an underground kingdom in the Himalayas, still inhabited by the last descendants of the antediluvian sages. It was under the guidance of these enlightened beings that the ancestors of the Aryans moved into India from the land that, according to the renowned Sanskrit scholar Bal Gangadhar Tilak, must have been located north of the Himalayas in the area now occupied by the Gobi Desert. The evidence from various submerged cities discovered off the coast of India and in the Gulf of Cambay shows that these Aryan survivors from the north of the Himalayan plateau did in fact succeed at rebuilding a sophisticated civilization in the Indian subcontinent. In 2001, a piece of wood from the ruins located at a depth of 36 meters in the Gulf of Cambay was dated to 11,500 years BCE. If confirmed, this discovery would push back the origins of the Indus Valley civilization by nearly 4,500 years. More underwater discoveries were made in the first years of the 21st century at Dwarka, off the coast of Gujarat, and in the southern India state of Tamil Nadu at Pumpuhar and Mahabalapuram, as described by Hancock in his 2002 book, The Underworld. The same civilization that built the now submerged ruins off the coast of Gujarat and in the Gulf of Cambay have now also been responsible for the many mysterious megalithic ruins and cave temples that can be found throughout the Indian subcontinent, from Ajanta to Elora to Elephanta, Barabar, uh, Vijay and Nagara, and Konarak. This civilization would have existed around the end of the last ice age, making it the direct successor of the antediluvian Aryan Empire referenced in esoteric traditions. Contemporary yet separate from the Neo-Atlantean empires of post-Diluvian Egypt and South America. An account of the events of this period may have influenced the com- uh, may have influenced the composition of the two national Indian epics of the Mahabharata and the Ramayana, whereas the Ramayana deals with the war of Devas and Asuras, the context of the Mahabharata is that of the subsequent war fought between the two Aryan dynasties, the Kauravas and the Pandavas, over the throne of Hastinapura. The Mahabharata ends with a victory of the Pandavas, yet at the cost of the complete destruction of the Kaurava society, an event that in the Vedic system also marked the beginning of the Kali Yuga. That is it. Right there. Fuck yeah, baby. 
So uh, I, I wanted to read those because that connects in with, with like the Lemurian stuff, the India and that whole continent of China. And possibly if like Von Galt is saying that the Philippines were Atlantis or Atlantis was in this area of the Pacific, then they perhaps would have all migrated into this area of India and everything and possibly formed what maybe we know as the Denisovians. You know? Oh, that actually, yeah, that, that holds up. Yeah, so possibly there's the, no doubt, that was bro. the Denisovian no line that, this... that came from there. And then the Atlantean line was that Nordic line. And then they came, they ended up meeting each other in that Tartaria region, that the steppes of Russia. And then this is the battle that they had. And then the the panda ones won, right? And then they ended up taking over. You know, I like to think about too, is what you said, <clears throat> you know, you have the northern lands, the the uh, the Nordic people being potentially original of that uh root race of Atlantean, where the Lemurian would be the southern. There's that middle point they kept bringing up the Himalayas and yeah. close to India. Shambhala um, is known to be located there, which is the center of the earth. And he said they would go there to meditate, right? Yeah. They would go there and that's where they receded. He even brought that up in that chapter too. And so it's like they meet in the middle to have this like mutual understanding because basically like from the north, from the south, it's the Himalayas. It's almost there. You know, it's not quite on the equilateral, but like, you know, we're not talking from neither of these lands are at the poles either. Right. So they're yeah. already like a anymore. anymore. Yeah. And that's, that's all speculative too. I mean, like the amount of time that we're talking about, like that yeah. we're ranging in this is, is a lot of time. So like a there's lot this of time. fully. So like, it's just like, we kind of can just say up and down almost, you know, <laughs> like just to be like, shit like but but yeah i know it's super fascinating i mean and i am a big believer and you know this and everyone listening unless you're a noob um welcome um that i i am a full uh believer of the craterous earth or cavernous earth um toroidal earth and and so um you know, also too, we brought up, uh, you brought up last night, King Arthur being, uh, you know, might've possibly died in Kentucky. Yeah. dude. <laughs> okay. Kentucky is known for being hollow. Kentucky yeah. is known for having the mammoth yep. caves. Right. Yep. And so if there's these lands, here's America. Here's, and then you have the land in the middle, then yep. wouldn't, there might be a connection from that to, you know, I, I fucking, Hollow Earth, baby. Let's I was, go. I was talking to this girl uh, that's on my route, and she she does uh, like archaeology for like new buildings and new proposed things, and and she has to go in there and find whether or not you know that people can build there or whatnot. It's not like the super cool cool archaeology. It's just you know, but. She does also do the super cool archaeology, but she said that they did find mammoths, mammoth bones at Mammoth Mountain. Go figure, right? Oh, shit. 
that's where everybody goes skiing. Uh, that's in like Southern, is it Southern California? Or is that a, a different one? I actually don't know. Yeah, I think Lake Tahoe is the one in, in Northern by Nevada. And I think Mammoth is uh, a little bit more south of here. I'm not sure what state it's in, though. I think it might be California. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But anyways, they found Mammoth Bones there. So that's cool. Uh, there's a whole big story about mammoths possibly being in America. Uh, there's pictures of, of all these mammoth bones that they've collected of their tusks and everything. Uh, there's even talks of like there being once an American elephant. I've heard. Was of. it the, there's, there's this uh, elephant that has a trunk that sticks straight out and the, the tusk sticks straight out. Mm. you're like it's a smaller elephant yeah but it like stuck straight out it's crazy yeah yeah the elephants are one of the coolest uh creatures because they're so big and they're so gentle they're kind of like kind of how we would think dinosaurs you know i mean the brontosaurus yeah. is mainly you know not the carnivorous ones would move yeah dude that yeah. that it's I, I love looking at the old animals and that's something else we need to kind of start maybe looking at as a speculation to this type of studies and research is the different animals that throughout time, you know, um, cause yeah. that's, that's going to tell us a lot there too, you know? Well, supposedly like Lemuria, uh, comes from lemurs, right. And mm -hmm. lemurs are in Australia. And I think there's also some in, uh, Eastern Africa, and so that's why they think that there was like that Kumari Kandam place was connecting those to India, it's connecting Australia and Africa to India through land bridge. And then that reading that one passage of the city of the bridge kind of made me go, Oh, maybe these, it was so close to these different lands that they built bridges over to these other continents from that one particular one. And they were able to go to these other lands from these bridges. Oh, okay, I got you right here. So there's this waning golden age period where there's a fruitful amount of human life, right? And then comes some deluge or cataclysmic event that this isolates people in all these different regions. And each of those regions, before there would be a seated, you know, like informer, coming in which always happens in in most of these stories right there's mm -hmm. some some foreigner coming in on a boat and they have all this crazy information and they help them out but in each of those regions why they're so culturally different maybe there was a demiurgical power in each of the regions that was maybe almost even predetermined um if we're talking gods and demiurge in a cosmological sense you know uh if those exist, this is far out there, by the way, you know, but like coming down after this cataclysmic uh, series of events and then reigning over these areas and then causing those theologies to kind of like, or it happened on a local level where there was just some people who were just smarter than others and kind of, you know, yeah. held captive the culture there, um, which is still demiurgical uh, in a sense. Well, it's interesting that Marco said the Atlantean Saturn, right? Uh, the 
and I heard other people say that the pillars of Hercules, Hercules, were actually called the pillars of Saturn, mm-hmm. and that the Atlantic Sea was actually called the Saturnian Sea. So mm-hmm. that all connects right back into the the notion that Odin is Saturn. <clears throat> Try to find this one real quick. I know I underlined it. Because he even hangs himself, he even hangs himself upside down from the world tree with his knee bent, and that's supposed to represent sulfur and the 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 yeah the the sulfur and the 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 symbol of it. So this um, is uh, is all about the color black, which. Saturn is resonated with the color black. Note, therefore, that when our compost begins to be drenched with our permanent water, when is all the compost turn into a molten pitch and all is blackened like coal. And at this point, our compost is called black pitch or burn salt, molten lead in pure Latin, magnesia or John's blackbird. Then a cloud A black cloud can be seen floating through the middle region of the vessel in a beautiful and often poor way is raised above the vessel. At the bottom of the vessel is a molten matter in the form of pitch remaining totally dissolved. Jacques of the village of St. Saturnin says about it, Oh, blessed cloud that floats in our vessel, this is the eclipse of the sun of which Raymond speaks. And when this mass is blackened, so it is considered dead and deprived of its form. Then the humidity manifests itself in the color of black, stinking, quicksilver, which is first dry, white, fragrant, burning, deliberated, and sulfur by the first operation, and now to be purified by the second operation. And in this way, this body is deprived of a soul, which is lost of its radiance and wonderful lucidity. And this first had it now gone black and ugly or black and black and mass is the key, the beginning sign of a perfect discovery to the way to achieve the second process of our precious stone. Therefore, says Hermes, if you see blackness, you will know that you've taken the right path and followed the proper way. And on that, just right before that, they bring up the um, the esoteric symbol of the crow symbolizes the color black, and then Odin is also known as fucking crows, right? Raven, that black color, raven. Sorry, yeah. which is the same. I mean, crows and ravens can yeah. be interchangeable, right? Uh, so that no. alchemical as fuck. Yeah. I mean, they come. They they can't. They they're the, they're the same. <laughs> if, if, who even knows? Crows might be a uh, uh, might be segregated gen- genetically from back in the day. Back in the day, maybe there was only ravens, right, and not oh. just crows. You know, I who knows? Because crows are yeah. crows are smaller ravens, bro. <laughs> okay, let's be honest. <laughs> All right. I mean, I don't I don't know enough about that to to know. But. Let me tell you this. And what do they come from? What family of birds? Corvids. Corvids? They both Corvids. come from the same family? Ravens and crows are, yeah, they're part of the Corvid family. So Corvid, hmm. COVID. Oh. They got the R. What do you call the C? What do you call a group of crows? Murder. 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 <laughs> Murder. All right. Well, that's it. I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Van Galt and Lemuria. Be sure to check out her books and everything else she has going on. 
She got her YouTube, her links, all that goodness. Show her some love. Tell her the homie Romy and Danny Naki Dan sent you. And uh, wake. Wake up. up. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. We are rising from the ashes. We as the fire tribe will rise Awaken our eyes Beyond what is seemingly laid upon us We can extend our consciousness to the further ends of our cosmic understanding If you enjoy our show and you like the content that we create to rising from the ashes i'm daniel naki dan and i am the homie Romy. hello daniel how are you hello hello man how's it going man great excited dude. for this part absolutely episode Finally. two episode Finally. two of atlantis month yes uh today we're going to be getting into a little bit of lemuria though and history uh we're going to be talking to buddhist author van galt van galt she is known for her Buddhism book series, Buddhist Mandala, Explore Parallel Realities with Sacred Geometry, and Buddhist Mandala, Christ Consciousness of a Multidimensional Merkaba, or Merkaba. And uh, she also has a new book uh, in the works called Pyramids, Megaliths, and Tribal Folklores of Asia. Uh, we're going to go further down with uh, Lemurian folklore and knowledge and uh discuss that uh van galt how you doing i'm doing good hi roman hi everybody thank you so much for inviting me i'm super excited about about this project i'm dan dan hi (laughs) (laughs) no worries uh tell the people a little bit about your background into uh yourself and like what made you write these books and and everything and get into this line of research well um 
you know, my my origins for how I got into Buddhist writing Buddhism books, um, it really just comes from my my heritage. So I'm Laotian and and I was born into the Buddhist uh heritage and basically growing up um I got bored at temple. I most of the material taught at temple is the basics, you know, how to be a nice person, how not to be a douchebag, you know, how not to ruin your life, etc. It's the basic stuff that people shouldn't already know, but they're still learning over again. Mm-hmm. It, you know, so I got bored of that. And so what I typically would do all growing up is I would look at and study the folklores and study the artwork and um, on all the temples of all the different Buddhist temples I went to throughout the United States and then also the ones in, in Laos, um, w- which my parents helped fund the construction of the artwork. And a lot of the artwork um, tells a story and there's a lot of folklore around the artwork. And um, as I got older, I just didn't think anything of it. Uh, they're just anecdotal stories to help you be a nice person. But as I got older in college, I started following when social media came about. I started following my favorite um, teachers like Dalai Lama and just different um, researches going on about consciousness, mindfulness, meditation, con- you know, mm-hmm. uh, and just different quantum physics, all that. And what I ended up um, gathering was information that supported my thesis that Buddhist mandalas, this energy field, is the vessel of consciousness that takes you between different parallel realities that match up with your personal resonance. And so I um, I used the folklores that I had learned growing up um, in these different Buddhist monasteries, talking to um, the different student monks who be questioning the little girl that's sitting by herself for hours studying these pictures, because um, all the other kids are doing other things and um i was able to prove to the buddhist mandala series the science behind how we are energy and as energy we have dominion over our reality mm-hmm. and which timelines and pitch parallel realities we go into so that that book right there was based off of buddhist folklore the other side of buddhist folklore is there is a rich history of buddhist folklore that goes into the origins of the people of Southeast Asia, which is supposedly from a lost empire of Mu or what we would call Lemuria from the um, Pacific coast. And uh, a lot of those imagery is about the mega flood that happened over 10,000 years ago mm-hmm. and what happened in the, the diaspora of the people. And over time, the people, um, as Buddhism came into the area, the people would wrap their folklores and their oral storytelling of their ancestry um, and their old civilizations and whatnot into the artwork that they would paint in their sacred temples because the sacred temples, the, the Buddhist temples or the Hindu temples are where most of the money go into because that's the commun- communal recreation area. And that's where they tell story. That's where they learn. That's where they um, you know, do functions. It's a, it's a community center. 
So, um, so when you go into any Buddhist or Hindu temple, you see a lot of folklores and imagery all over, and they're not um, just pretty pictures. They actually have information in them, and if you have the eyes to see and do the research, just like how I followed the folklores of Buddhist mandalas and proved that it's real, um, I will be f- proving that that the pyramids and the megaliths of all the Pacific Islands are remnants of the Lemurian Empire, um, which is documented in Buddhist folklores and artwork. And if we prove the Lemurian Empire is true based on its folklores, there it there is the story that Lemuria had a war between another great civilization um, called the Atlantis mm. Empire. Okay. And there isn't much information about the Atlantis Empire that you can prove that Atlantis really existed besides Plato. Um, but there is a lot of information proving Lemuria existed. And I, um, I aim to prove that in my book project, Pyramids, Megaliths, and Tribal Folklores of Asia. And we'll go into um, how I um, go to proving that. So, Excellent. I, I have a few questions uh, just off the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us what a Merkaba or a Merkaba is uh, for the people out there that may not know what that word means? Yeah. So, um, and, and this is, this is some basic consciousness groundwork for going into um Pyramids, megaliths, and tribal folklores of Asia. And that book project that I'm, I've been working on, because when you go into these sacred sites and these ancient sites, and you go further into it, you see a lot of imagery and a lot of technology revolving around enlightenment and a connection to consciousness, to source in our experience here in this holographic reality. And so you have to have a basic understanding of consciousness, because that's what a lot of these ancient temples revolve material around so your merkaba is um the word merkaba is basically a a a jewish word for your energy field in modern science they call it your toroidal field um in um, japan they call it your yin yang in um in buddhism they call it your mandala because it looks like mandala um in hinduism they call your sri yantra but we have many many different names it's just basically your aura field and your aura field is you. Um, you could actually take a picture of your aura field. Um, in the book, there's a, there's a website called soundmadevisible.com where anybody can send a, a recording of their voice and it will automatically show a picture of what that voice looks like. And everybody's is unique. Mine has lions in it. So. <laughs> Damn, that's, that's. Super cool. <laughs> well, yeah, because um, when I talk, it's uh, it's the roar of the lion and yeah, the, the teacher. Yes. I'm I am also a Leo, yeah. and my voice has lions in in my mandala. So um, it's in, it's in the books as well. But um, in Buddhism, because there's a lot of lion iconology, the teacher is the lion. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So you've been everybody you've been has one. Everybody one. has one. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody has a line in there. It's just, it just it just has to be brought forth. So uh, we had a really great um, conversation last month. Was 
dedicated to the divine feminine and what that means and different spiritual um, beliefs. And we had a really great conversation with this lady named Aurora, who claims to be a walk-in, um, meaning that the body um, of the human that she is encapsulated in now um, actually was on the deathbed from a, uh, a head injury. And she basically, her soul came in and is Aurora now. And what she describes um, how she goes from dimension to dimension is called what she calls a flying rainbow lasagna. Speaking of it <laughs> as like a Merkaba of sorts or yes. a mandala. And she's, she claims that that's how she was able to go from her dimensional uh, reality to, um, come to this physical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your Merkaba, your Merkaba or your energy field. It is when you read Buddhist mandalas, and I want to preface everybody, Buddhist mandalas, you don't have to be really scientific. You don't have to be really mathematical. I write it in very simple terms so everybody can understand. And even if you have absolutely no knowledge, you can go into the material and come out, you know, with a better understanding of your energy field. Um, but your energy field is a portal. Okay. It is designed like a portal. It's a tour. It's a it's a portal. All your chakras are mini portals. And then all together, it makes mm -hmm. kind of like, it looks like an apple. It's a mm -hmm. toroidal field. But when you look at it from the top view, it looks like a yin-yang because that's how the, the energies move. Mm. Um, if, you, if you take a picture of your voice, it looks like a mandala. So there's a lot of different ways. We're all look, we're talking about the same thing. We're just seeing it from different points of view. But it's basically a portal. And the way in which you navigate your portal um, is through consciousness, is through your level of consciousness to um, the greater reality of source, God, whatever, Allah, whatever you want to call it. Um, and also, it is your intentions. Like, what do you intend? Do you want to experience next? And so a lot of it is a lot of it is about getting clear of what you want to experience next and then um, cleaning up the dramas. Uh, so if you want to keep somebody into a lower frequency of reality, a lower reality, you continue to feed them fear, dramas, melodramas, problems. And so they never fix it. And so they never go anywhere. But if they understand how they create things and they fix it, then they know they, they're much wiser in not recreating the, the old dense issues that uh, that hold back their Merkaba into jumping into the next best experience into another timeline, into another parallel reality that is of a higher resonance that have uh, perf more preferable experiences. Okay. I don't say that one timeline is better than another timeline. They're just more preferred than others. Mm -hmm. But for some people, they need the t lower timeline. They need the lower reality because that is the level of consciousness that they're at. And they need those life lessons to learn and grow from so that when they get into the better ones, um, they can appreciate it um, much more instead of repeating the same old bad habits over and over again and not, you know, jumping through the portal. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Your Merkaba is your portal. Yes. Okay. Your, your vehicle, your spiritual vehicle of transportation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And when you get into, when you get into ancient folklores, a lot of the ancient folklores talk about your, um, your your portal, your Merkaba. Mm -hmm. They talk mm -hmm. about consciousness. They talk about the heart resonance. They talk about your spiritual connection to source. They talk about the reality 
um, being malleable and changeable. And um, and everybody does this. It's just not paying attention. We're basically driving around drunk with like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not not sober. Yeah. Um, but but if you ever had the experience of what they call Mandela effect, or we uh, just call it sh- shifting parallel realities, where you are going, wait a minute, that car was blue. It's always been blue, but now all of a sudden it's red, and everybody says it's red. Wait a minute, why is my husband's eyes all of a sudden um, brown when it's always been blue? And he even remembers it being blue but now all of a sudden it's brown you know those kind of nuances oh weird okay you 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 you, there's a lot of um tests online like do you remember the berenstein bears versus the berenstein bears you know what you grew up with Mm -hmm. do you remember publishers clearinghouse having edmund mann deliver the the prize van (laughs) and the and everything i i remember that i watched it all the time growing up my dad was crazy about uh, Reader's Digest um, mm-hmm. lottery so that he can you know get the prize van of Ed McMahon showing up. You've just won a million dollars. What are you going to do? But in this reality, that's never happened. It was, the prize van was not from Publishers Clearing's house. It was from American Family Publishers or something like that. Yeah. But you know those kind of nuances um, explain that there are people from different realities merging into this existing reality and now we have two different memories of different realities in this reality okay that's an example of consciousness merging okay and so there's multiple ways to get to the same outcome and that's an example of that but in buddhism we just talk about it in terms of um shifting your attention your intention your consciousness um and working through those life challenges and creating with with um, a much more clear picture of what you want next. And mm-hmm. that's how you use your Merkaba to jump from one version of reality to another. You do it in a level of consciousness. Okay. So I don't want to get too far into Buddhism and Dawes because we can yeah. go forever about no, Buddhism yeah. and Dawes. We're going to go into the, to the Pyramids yeah. and Megaliths book project. Yes. yes. And I let, we should start it off with a chronology of sorts, a timeline. Can you give us a visualization yeah. of, of, of picture, a, t- a timeline of, of this, uh, this beautiful land of Lemuria? Yeah. Like what is Lemuria? Where is it located? When did this kind of civilization exist? And when was its downfall kind of in a, nutshell yeah well i'm not sure of a nutshell it's a, it's a long story but i'll try to give you <laughs> one mac I'll, nutshell yeah yeah i'll try to um this i'll try to give you um a, a rundown so just really quick background so what what eventually got me into this is um i went to, with my mother in ironically 2012 <laughs> 2012 uh, which is the year 2555 in the Buddhist era calendar as a year of changeover from one um, cycle of Earth's history to another cycle. Uh, it's just a changeover, a changeover of energy into a higher dimension. And so 2012. So they had just um, finished some artwork. And so I went with my mother to her latest temple to go and see what they did with the money. And I, of course, did my usual uh, just studied the new art and as I was going there um, I was like oh they touched up on some of the mega flood artwork about giants and mermaids and um, what happened to the people in terms of th- that folklore of the diaspora after the, the mega flood 
And so I, I kind of studied that um, again. And then I went and I also went to the Plain of Jars in Laos. They have this valley of like hundreds, if not um, more, of these huge megalithic jars, which is two or three times taller than the average human. And there was an um, a amateur archaeologist that came in through for like a stint and saw a couple of um, human bones and said, oh, it's a burial mound. But that's not the story, according to locals. The legend and the folklores that I grew up with was that the Plain of Jars um, was remnants of kind of like a Super Bowl party uh, from some giants that had won a war or settled a war, but it was just a, a, a celebration after a war. And that's why they had lids and they look like cups and they're all over the place. But that's the story. But of course, that's just folklore. A bunch of giants having a Super Bowl party after a war. But the evidence is there. Um, so nobody really knows the true origins because, again, when you go beyond um, modern times when people can read and write, most of the stuff is folklore. And yeah. folklore is documented in an illiterate society from artwork. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I have to understand, um, understand that. So anyways, I went there and then I went to um, Vat Pu, which is a temp- a very large temple in Laos. And it is a small copy of Angkor Wat in mm-hmm. um, Cambodia. And um, if you... Whoa, uh, that's fucking... Sorry, that's really cool. I love it. Yeah. I love yeah. those, those architectures. Just mind-melting. Angkor Wat is, is the big sister. But if you look from Angkor Wat and you look towards Laos, it's the little sister, which is Vat Pu, which is a very mini version of it. Mm. Um, but when I was at Vat Pu and I was studying, of course, the artwork, because I'm an artist, and I was studying the artwork, all of the uh, doorways are just huge. They're like three or four times taller than I am. I'm about 5'4". So I'm like, oh, okay, why? And I asked the people and they're like, oh, we don't really know. Um, but my mom used to go there. Uh, when she was a kid and basically the folklore from the locals of Vat Pu is that um, the people are much taller they're like giants they're much taller that's why the doorways are uh, like three or four times taller than the average human all the doorways because they're the ancient the ancient temples have taller doorways because that reflects the height of the people but over time they got smaller and smaller um so that's the folklore so that, i was like well that's interesting and then i go to um another monument in laos and this is all by um my mother and father's village in northern laos uh, which is kind of a Hmong village um, a Hmong tribal village so i went to the tomu monument and the tomu monument is very very small um the doorways are really small so it's a newer temple and the folklore around that one is that there was this couple and the husband, the king of this small little um, tribe, he decided to go do his spiritual retreat. And so he went to Mount Kilish. Okay. And Mount Kilish over in Tibet, um, the folklore of Mount Kilish is that time travels very, very fast there. So one day could be months or years outside of it okay that's the folklore if you go if you go there's a portal in mount kalish 
if you know how, where to find that portal, you go into that portal and then you go into kind of what they've, the folklore is Shambhala. And that's where all the enlightened beings, you know, live and study. And anyways, this, this king went to Mount Kalish just, and he thought he was just going to be there for a couple months. Well, in the real world, in Laos, his wife waited a thousand years for him, according to the folklore. But then she heard um, a rumor that he had died. And so she was so sad that she killed herself. Well, he came back a couple months later after his spiritual retreat. A couple months in Mount Kalish is a thousand years in real time. And he came back and found that she had killed herself. And so he was really sad. But then he had saw this little girl that he swears is a reincarnation of his wife. And remember, he has an age. It's only been a couple months, so he has an age. So they got married and they live off um, their life. But that's Mount Tomu. So I've, so I'm seeing going to Laos um, all this information about these folklores, which I grew up with, but I wasn't old enough to really look at it from an archaeological perspective and as, as you know, evaluating perspective. As a kid, you just run around and play. We play tag and that's it. <laughs> so, um, but then I got home. And I got my DNA ancestry report um, that I had sent and I got a gift. And I was curious about, I, I got the gift because I was curious about my mother. She had blonde hair growing up and then it turned, her eyes turned brown and her blonde hair turned dark brown. And then my cousin in Laos, one of my cousins, she had blonde hair, brown eyes. And so I was just kind of curious, well, maybe we have mm. some white in our genes, okay, if monk. And so I got the DNA ancestry report back and I found that I had 14% Polynesian and no one in my family knows anybody who ever lived in the islands because we've always, as long as anybody remembers, have lived in Laos, we're from the, the Laos um, tribe of Hmong. And then um, the rest of it is completely Asian and there was absolutely no Caucasian in my DNA. And I argued with them and they said, no, there's no Caucasian in you at all. And I said, well, then why is my mom and my cousin blonde hair? Um, and my mother had blue eyes. And she, he, the representative who was looking at the report said, well, we do have some people from Laos who have that in their genes. And um, it's the same. Are you Laos? And are you from the Hmong tribe? And I said, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm from northern northern Laos, and so I'm like, oh yeah, okay. So then I talked to my mother, and 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 she said, well, yeah, we're from the Hmong tribe, and the Hmong tribe, that's normal. Every couple of generations, you're gonna get um, a blonde, blonde, blue eyed baby, um, mm -hmm. and everybody's everybody's Laotian. And I was like, oh well, where's is that from the Polynesian Islands? Because we're supposedly fourteen percent. And she said, oh yeah, it's just from Lemuria. So it was just kind of matter of fact. I was like, well, well then, why don't you guys tell us this? Why don't you tell us about? It? She's like, well, technically, you're not supposed to say anything because um we could all gotten killed in laos if we were talking about this and identify ourselves as Hmong because the Hmong tribe during the vietnam war um were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place uh you know they are part they're like native americans in, in america all right so the native laotians who haven't really gotten sovereignty haven't been recognized over the the eons and they happen to be part of the laos um country and um, and they had these foreigners who had a war and they didn't want these foreigners to die on their sacred land that has been unrecognized, these Americans. 
And so they and so they would protect the Americans um, from sniper attack and whatnot, just to protect their land. And as a result, they got stuck between a rock and a hard place. And so a lot of them had to seek political asylum to leave the country or be reeducated, my family being one of them. And so we just don't talk about us being Hmong or part of the of the folklore of Lemuria because it puts a marker on us because of modern um, warfare in the area. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Now my interest is peaked. And that's how I started going, okay, well, um, I did follow the folklores for Buddhist mandalas and prove that it was real. Um, mm. Let me look at the folklores of all of the material that I saw in Laos and f- using the folklores as a treasure map, let's see if this mega flood folklore of Lemuria is true. So according to this folklore, over 10,000 years ago, um, most of the people of Southeast Asia, and especially Laos, um, or the Hmong people from our tribe, were descendants of the Lemurian Empire. But when the mega flood came, the only people who survived were the ones who either got into boats or they were the ones who were able to escape to the very tippy tops of where they lived on the empire. And when the flood came through, it created a bunch of islands. But on the tippy tops are going to be remnants of, um, of their culture, like a pyramid or megalith, some, something some kind of remnant of their culture. Um, and so that's the folklore. And then when the waters receded, people slowly over time went back to living in the valleys and, and um, carried on their life and tried to recreate their culture. But um, the folklore of Lemuria is that we were all giants um, and that we were highly spiritual and highly technological. But the technology is so advanced that it basically is hidden within the culture. So it looks very artistic and very organic. Um, And it existed at the same time as another folklore, which is Atlantis. But unlike Atlantis, Atlantis, according to that folklore, was different from Lemuria in that the Atlanteans were a little bit envious of Lemuria because we were highly spiritual and a lot of the Lemurian people had highly evolved six senses because they were connected in consciousness of source. You know, I've always had that vibe. I thought Atlantis was kind of like the Greek, you know, um, the Greek, like, you know, snubby uppy types. And I always had a, a feeling, an intuitive feeling that Lemurians were just like vibes and just complete utter connection to everything that the earth had to offer. Like I always yeah. kind of like had that vibe. Yeah. And that's according to the folklores, that is the folklores that's been told over and over again in Laos and in many um, tribes that we have a common link to Mu. And Mu is, again, highly technological, but the technology is very organic. Uh, it's not very robotic. And the Mu peoples, um, they had a very clear connection to source, God, consciousness, whatever. Um, they understood their place in creation. 
And, um, and because they're so spiritual, uh, you know, they also understood their abilities within the holographic matrix and their six senses and they're responsible. One of the very big things about the Mu people is to be responsible with your spiritual six senses and be responsible with technology. Um, but the counterculture, which they didn't see as enemy, they didn't see us Atlantis as enemies at all. They saw them as, oh, just another culture, another friend. They didn't think anything of it. Um, the counterculture of Atlantis was very technical and um, because they weren't as spiritually connected to source, they kind of made their technology their gods. That's according to the folklore. And the technology ended up creating a lot of havoc in um, their cultures because they were, um, you know, doing genetic modifications. Um, they were, um, you know, it was just taking over their ethics and there wasn't enough people to, with wisdom, <clears throat> to um, divert where they were going to go. But with Lemuria, the elders, they had a lot of respect for the elders and the wisdom, the wisdom keepers um, to prevent us from basically letting our eagle take over and take the best of us. But as a result, the folklore is that Atlantis and Lemira had a duke out. Um, and, but it didn't completely kill Atlantis or Lemuria. What killed Lemuria was the mega flood. Mm. A- was the flood caused by technology overdose? Like, that's kind of like a, a, one of Atlantis the ongoing. Thing, yeah. yeah, like there was like so much of this like resonance technology happening that maybe it was an attack um through resonance and what's the folklore tell us about about how it started because we know about the deluge from all over the world we know about deluge but how did this deluge come about we don't really the folklores don't really um say much about how it started it if you look at and everything I say is is completely substantiated by the by the folklores and and the the art um, in the area. But basically, they just all the monks growing up um, and the ones still just say, "Oh, it happened over ten thousand years, over ten thousand years ago. It happened. Just it was just a big flood that just took out everything, and it went across the whole world." Um, so right around the same time as it, what it took out Lemuria, it probably took out Atlantis at the same time. It was a worldwide flood that just took out everything. Only thing that was left over the what the ones who was able to make it to tippy tops. Uh, the fo- the reason why there's still remnants of Lemuria available atop of these islands is because Lemuria Lemuria was so high had a high altitude. Atlantis may not have had high a high enough altitude, which is why there's nothing left in that area to prove mm. its existence. The way in which we prove the existence of Atlantis folklore is proving the existence of the Lemurian folklores which I will prove. So, um, so, so, so what did I do? So I started going, okay, well, if this folklore is true, let's see, let's see what, what's around existing. So uh, I'm going to list out a couple of the um, remnant artifacts. And if you live in this area, go see it. But most people don't because they're really remote. Um, so I first started with, Tonga, mm-hmm. the island of Tonga, and then because they're the closest to the Hmong tribe, and they have a megalith 
arch called the Ha'amanga Amawi. Okay, Ha'amanga Amawi. Mm-hmm. And the ancient capital is the city of Mu'a for Lemuria. Okay. Um, and so I was like, well, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> the same Hmong names. So mm. that I was like, well, there's some plausibility. That's where my 14% Polynesian came from. Also, in the f- tribes of Tonga, Maui is, you know, there's the name that Maui's one man, but also Maui, there's another folklore that Maui is just kind of a name for these four superhuman brothers who were giants and they all were named Maui or, or referred to as Maui. Um, the, the brothers, the Maui brothers, they, um, they were really interested in helping humanity gain consciousness and the superhuman abilities. And I know from my work of Sixth Sense Consultation that when you attain consciousness and you raise your frequency and you become more awakened within the holographic reality and your Merkaba is fully activated, you do activate six senses. I have clients all over the world that I talk to about their budding, evolving six senses. Um, so it is true. But um, that was, that's, that's Tonga. So I was like, check. The very top of the Tonga Islands is a megalith. Let's go to the next one. So we go to Indonesia. Indonesia, the very top of the islands, if this folklore is true, something's going to be there. Yes, there is something. The Bada Valley of megalithic jars. And these look just like the jars of Laos. Almost exact, if you look at it. Um, There's also these megalithic statues, and they're basically wanking themselves. And according to the folklore... Okay, of course, they have their, their, their hands are underneath their, um, their pants and they're basically wanking themselves. So it's kind of funny. So I'm like, well, that's interesting. What's the folklore behind that? And I talked to some elders and they said, basically, the folklore is that there was a king who, was, who had anxiety of the war going on, the war of giants. The king was a giant. And so they erected all these wanking statues facing the palace where there's a pyramid, facing the palace just to make him laugh so that he can not have so much anxiety from this war going on. So I said, well, that's interesting. So that's uh, Indonesia. It's like Indonesia. a comic picturing the audience naked or somebody yeah. on stage yeah. picturing the audience naked so they don't feel self-conscious about what they're doing. Exactly. Yeah. So that's Indonesia. <laughs> you look further into the next island, the Philippines. Okay, so I'm like, oh, let's go to the Philippines. If this, oh, the other thing also, one more thing about Indonesia is that in Indonesia there is a large pyramid on the very top of Indonesia. It's called Ganang Padang, mm-hmm. and it's supposedly twenty five thousand years old. It's a step pyramid. Now the government doesn't want anybody because they started doing some excavation and started seeing that there was a shaft that goes straight down, and they wanted to send something down to see what's inside the pyramid, but then the government stopped it. So. There isn't much excavation or research being done on that pyramid right now because uh, the government's just preventing people from from inspecting it. They're afraid it's going to break or we're going to break it or whatever. But anyways, there is a 25,000-year-old step pyramid in Indonesia. So that checks with the other folklore of the king that lived in um another megalithic structure like a pyramid or somewhere around there that needs those wanking statues to calm his nerves about the war that's going on. So 
I go to the Philippines and the Philippines, they have something too. At the very top of their mountains, they have what they call the chocolate hills. And the chocolate hills are conical. And there are these thousands of hills. If you go to the park there, um, you have to, there's an overlook to see these hills. They all look like cones um, on the hillside, the huge hills. Um, they're almost like mountains. But basically, the folklore, uh, the folklore is that there was a war between giants, and they were they were throwing rocks, and the rocks built up, and they started piling up like these conical shapes. But um, the giants they had a truce, and they kind of got over their senses, and so. Um, to celebrate the end of the war, they went elsewhere to go party, kind of go have a Super Bowl party. Okay. And um, and some of them stayed here to party in Indonesia or in the Philippines in this area, and some went elsewhere. So where have I heard of a, of a Super Bowl party of giants? Laos, the mm-hmm. plane of jars. Yeah. So we had the, the plane of jars. jars. The plane of jars. Yo, wow. That, that, there's something too to the top of that that step pyramid there that I've been uh, I've been doing some research called resonant architecture just to try to like pull all the our, all the crazy architecture buildings that are souped up to the uh, the Earth's grid, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's something to that bell shape. Can do you know anything about the actual shape? of the bell, like in folklore stories, do they, cause I know the Vamanas are um, a big, big part of that talk, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, that the tops of these buildings were actually able to come off and be transportation devices. Is there any folklore resonating to that? Or do you know much about Vamanas? Yes, um, I do. And when we get to the part where I talk about the Ural mountain pyramid in Russia, Ooh. That's where I end this book series because that's where Eurasia. I stop at Eurasia for the Asia book sh- series, mm-hmm. and it stops right at the Euro Mountains. So I'll, I'll table that for a little, a little bit. But that's just so to kind of thank you. So yeah, much. you're welcome. Just to just to run through this really quickly. So the Philippines has the conical hills, and there's a folklore right there which completely corroborates the folklores of Laos about the Super Bowl party. So they had a Super Bowl party to celebrate um, the end of the war in um, the Bada Valley in Indonesia with those megalithic jars. And they had an even bigger one. The best party was in Laos. And right now, if you go to Laos, you can go to um, to that site and see thousands of megalithic jars. Um, jump inside of them, get a rope, pull yourself outside of them, <laughs> have some fun. But that's the folklore. So India folk. Indonesia and Laos and the Philippines, they, they, their folklores match each other. Um, so then I went to another island. I went to the um, Sumba Islands and I'm going to small islands because there's a lot of small islands um, that dot along the Pacific coastline because this is all one, according to folklore, all one empire. Um, but, but what was left over are these little islands after the, the water hit them all. And there's thousands of domains, and those domains are just basically huge megalithic structures. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a so- Soma. Um, the Nias Islands also has folklores of how the megalithic structures were built. Um, and basically, the Nias Islands, the, 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 the locals say, yeah, it was built by giants that used to live here. Um, 
Yeah, but what's left, but they don't know how it was built. They just have stories. They use levitation technology. They were giants, so it's easy to, to push, move things and create things. Um, but that's their stories. Very straightforward, the Neos Islands. But um, they don't have the information or knowledge to work with it anymore. It's not been passed passed along. Once the um, the giant elders passed away, the knowledge passed with them because they're, they're kind of illiterate. They didn't have literature yet um and so anyways but they do have they do use the megalithic structures as a rite of passage so when boys reach a certain age if they can jump across these megalithic structures that is the rite of passage so that's how they use it nowadays um so so that island checks easter island checks as well i mean i was just following the folklore as a treasure map if it's true there's going to be something on top of these islands, all these big islands along the coast, the wow. coastline of the Pacifics. And Easter Island has it. They have the Moa statues, full bodies. Okay. Um, and those and there's connect also... to Goblaki Tepe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- there's also a pyramid on top of Easter Island. It's called, it's a pyramid at Rapa'iti. Okay. Um, so, check, check. Uh they also have the Vanapu megalithic walls, which is these huge walls, which if you, they're megalithic walls that are airtight when they, on the seams. So same technology all over, um, technology of the, of the giant ones. So Easter Island, check. Uh, let's, I went over to uh, Samoa, looked at that. There's Nanmadal, Nanmadal megalithic city along a coral reef area. And the folk, there's two folklores around Nanmadal. Nanmadal, uh, the first one is there were giants, seafaring people that resettled there. And the chiefs of the islands are often large and they're descendants of the, the elder ones of Nanmadal. That's the first one. They're just seafaring people that settled there after a mega flood. The second oh, wow. folklore, the second folklore of Nanmadal is that there were two giant brothers that escaped the mega flood and they started it one died the other ended up marrying a local woman and of course they had kids and those kids became the chiefs of the islands now some of the chiefs of the islands if you look at these um the chiefs they have blonde blonde or red hair and um of course when you talk to the locals and the elders of um samoa when it comes to Nanmadal, they basically said, no, we found it here. We didn't build it. It was here already. We found it. And mm. we just started, you know, using wow. it. Most people, most people don't go into it because they, they, they're very suspicious and they, um, you know, kind of paranoid about the, um, the energy of the area. How do you feel about going in places like that? Is it Kapu or no? For me, me being um, potentially a descendant of Lemuria. Uh, from the Hmong culture and knowing what I know when I go to these areas, I've actually, um, I get a sense and a communication from the elders in the areas. I have psychic six senses. And so when it, it just kind of comes on and oh, they wow. kind of show me, they kind of show me, look at this, look at this one, whatever. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's great. I'm starting to get hungry. I want to go have lunch. <laughs> 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 so um, my, my human nature comes in. Uh, so anyways, um, but that's, that's typically what, what happens but when i go to when i when i go to these places um 
you have to bring drones with you to fly over, go in close, go under, take video, whatever. And a lot of these places are so remote that it's really hard to get to it. So you can't even hike into it. You need a drone. And you need a couple of good drones, a backup drone as well, with a lot of backup battery just to be able to get footage because you're not going to get pictures. And you're not going to get, you know, and so there isn't that many pictures um, because people don't venture into these areas. But but when we go, when we, we plan on going for copyright issues, because when I'm creating the book, I when I started my research, I was just doing Internet research going, well, here's the folklore. Let's see if it's true. And 100 percent of the time, every single big island has a pyramid or megalith. So it's proving the, the Buddhist folklore of Lemuria to be true. I've never looked at the folklore and 100 percent of the time I found evidence to substantiate it. OK, so that's Nan Madal mm-hmm. and a lot of the chiefs of the Fiji Islands and the Lao Islands, which I thought was funny. They even have an island called Lao. <laughs> but the, um, in the Polynesians, a lot of the chiefs are about eight feet tall and they're smaller mini versions of the original elders of Lemuria, mm. of the empire. Um, you go to Australia, there's the Gimpy pyramids with Gosford hieroglyphs in there. Okay, you go to, and that's the top of Australia. You go to New Zealand. Top of New Zealand is the Kamari Awawal, or, um, and there's also, they have these huge Meraki boulders on the beach, more megalithic structures there. You go to Hawaii, and there's the Wanea Pyramid on top of the Wanea Valley, Oahu. It's really hard to track in there. That's why you have to have drones that go miles in. Mm-hmm. You know, you just go as close as you possibly can, and then you, Start the drone. So uh, a lot of the, the children who love the drone stuff, this this is your this is your homework. You're gonna have fun with this. So um, that's and then if you go to Japan, Japan, you got Unaguni Step Pyramid. Yes. It was yeah, underneath the water, not far yeah. off the coast, but even on the island of Japan, around Unaguni, there's megalithic structures all over the island, just kind of scattered all over the place. But Unaguni is is huge. Um, and there's, there's that. Can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. Uh, Is, do you, are you, are you a supporter of, uh, like Kumari Kandam? Describe again a little bit further. Kumari Kandam is like, uh, this lost continent that they believe, uh, the top of it touched India and, uh, that's a different, that's a different empire. Okay. So that's not what you think the Lumeria empire was. No, that's, that's a completely different empire. Okay. So yeah. Um, so where, what is the stretch of the Lumerian empire? Is that that's just the Philippines area of these, all these islands off of uh, Southern uh, China and out towards the Pacific towards Hawaii. Um, the Lumeria empire, according to the folklore is basically the, the, the whole Pacific. Okay. Yeah, like I, I imagine it being big. I mean, it's stretching all the way to Australia, all the whole islands, mm-hmm. the Aleutian, the Aleutian Island chain, which is all sunken underwater, was probably my area. And then let us not forget California, baby. California was a motherfucking. There's so much Lumerian folklore happening out here. Yeah, um, yeah. Mount Shasta is a part of that too, um, because people, you know, don't like to talk about it, but California was an island, and there's maps of that as well. 
Yeah. The thing with America is I'm not sure if I'm going to be around living long enough to cover, you know, a book series. I'll start with I'll start with Pyramids and Megaliths and Tribal Folklores of Asia. And then when I go up to Asia, just finish off Asia, I end up at um, where Eurasia ends. And that, that's the, that's that book is the, the Asia one. But um, there's so much content from the from Russia, China, and Tibet, that that's his own little book series, the known book. So I don't just have to split it up because um, in China, there's a Chinese pyramids there. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to go there and take those copyright free pictures and the area of drone videos there because China doesn't want anybody to know about this stuff. It completely throws everything out in terms of history with the pyramids and our current understanding of um, origin from the Bible which begins around the pyramids, but then you go into Chinese pyramids and they've been around for even longer. And you go to the 25,000 year old pyramid in, in uh, Indonesia and it starts throwing history completely um, into zonks and they don't want to open that can of worms up. But um, if I ever do have the ability to do that, I will go to the China one, but the China has a bunch of pyramids, a lot of, uh, megalithic structures um, in China, and then you go into Russia. Yeah, I'm sorry. you go into Russia, and you get the Ural Mountains, um, and there's a big pyramid in Ural Mountains. Um, in 2020, some uh, tourists end up discovering it, and because they decide we want to go into the Ural areas and explore the mysteries of Euro mountains and a lot of the locals don't want to go there because they are afraid of just superstition that they have around the Euro mountains. Um, there's a lot of giant megalithic elements there, but um, what was fascinating in the Euro mountains is that they found a coral, a, a spiral, a nano spiral tool that you can only see in microscopic. And it is about, it was, it was uh, dated to be, according to the scientific tests of it, it was dated to be 100,000 to 300,000 years old. So um, there was a culture of potentially giants, according to the folklore, that was of advanced technology, maybe 100,000 to 300,000 years old. Okay, um, that's and that's in the Euro Mountains. And I would love to go to the Euro Mountains, but... Um, that's remote. I would love to go that. I love a good helicopter tour. And then Tibet, you, of course, you have Mount Kilish, which goes around the the folklores of Shambhala and all the folklores around Mount Kilish, of uh, the ancient ones residing there in through a portal <laughs> into their dimension. So these are folklores. I'm, I'm just repeating folklores, but I like to match you, the folklores uh, you... up with the evidence. Do you think the Earth, uh, what do you think about the Earth as a whole, like uh, as a celestial living being? Um, and how do you view uh, the planet um, that we're on? Well, um, from the science that I've documented in my book, Buddhist Mandala Series, the Earth is a living being. She's conscious and she's she is of high frequency and she's already moved on to a fifth dimensional or higher level of consciousness. Do you think there's pockets within the earth? Like I, I would love for this to be true because this feels so warm and bubbly to me that this, um, 
you know, there was a flood that happened and maybe there's caverns inside the earth where there's heightened um, energy and resonance going on. And, you know, uh, that we have, a, that we have some of our ancestors living inside the earth. Is there any tales of like volcanoes, you know, having access to that or anywhere in Lumeria having access to any sort of craterous or hollow earth? Um, according to the Buddhist folklores, I don't have any, any, any of that. Um, I, again, I don't know all the Buddhist folklores. Okay, there's a lot. Um, but <laughs> it's 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 like two thousand years of folklore, so I don't know. And yeah, yeah. But I know what from what I know, um, there is a portal point in Mount Kilesh in Tibet. It only is visible and open to people who know where it is. And even if you know where it is, it's only open to people who are of high frequency. Their ah. their Merkaba. Their, mm-hmm. their energy field has to be a high enough residence to match and see the gateway yeah. to go in. Okay. Yeah, that seems so, to be the story there. Yeah. So if you like, just like the Mount Tumu uh, monument with the, um, the king of that small kingdom in Laos who went there just to go homage for a couple months and just learn from the teachers there. Um, same exact thing. You have to be a high frequency. And his wife, she lived supposedly according to the folklore for a thousand years, which means that she has high frequency to be able to um, have such good health for such a long period of time, because uh, your health is connected to your spiritual health, uh, your consciousness level. So, yep. so everything that I have proven from following the folklore of Buddhist mandalas and put it in with scientific evidence to back up. We are energy is our energy field and consciousness that that dictate which version of reality we experience. It also opens up to different things in that reality that are of that that energy frequency. So the thing is, is that you can let's say hypothetically, let's say like like the Nazis, for example, they stomp through uh, Tibet and try to find what they could from the folklores. And they can go in there all they want. It's not going to open up for them because they have low low frequency. They're not of mm-hmm. um, they're not of of Christ consciousness, which is a crystalline consciousness of a higher vibrating Merkaba. You know, um, so they can they can stomp all they want. It's not going to open for them. They can bring somebody who have a high frequency, um, and it open up for them. And that person can, can walk right through according to the folklores, but they won't be able to. You know, I love that. I love what you just said there, the crystalline energy, because um, I, I was just reading one of my favorite books last night. And um, it's, you know, under, trying trying to understand alchemy more. Because the more I understand, you know, uh, alchemy on, on a cos, cosmolo, cosmology, a cosmological alchemy or, you know, however, just to understanding the matter more, you know, and materials that we're surrounded with and trying to get the spirit to that too. And um, I, I read the term sulfur sun and then that game parentheses was Jesus next to it. I was like, wow. Like thinking about, you know, Jesus or Christ, these like this energy, these words that get tossed around, um, you know, uh, and, and then that, and I had a vision of it being like just a, a material, like a, a, a thought material or like a thought pattern, but that connects to, and a crystalline just works really well. I'm sorry. There's yeah. a lot of, a lot of no, scattered no, thought there. No, in, in my, in my book, my book two of 
of Buddhist mandalas, um, Christ consciousness of a multidimensional Merkaba. I go into the distinction of um, Yeshua ben Yosef, or what you guys call Jesus Christ in um, the Bible canon. Um, he is the Christ, but um, he is of Christ consciousness. Okay, and it's it, it's an energy level of consciousness that you connect with um, source energy. Okay, so let me see. Uh, yeah, so and and in Buddhism, we have our own documentations in our canon of Yeshua ben Yosef being taught consciousness, metaphysics, um, and just kind of how to harness his crystalline energy for energy healing. Isa. So, yeah, his name is Isa. So, um, yeah, in um, Islam, they called him Isa, but, um, or, or Yeshua mm-hmm. is his real name. And so, anyways, it, there's a whole thing on Miriam of Magdala, which is his wife, and the three children and their life um, in India with his Buddhist monastery there. But um, you're not, but it fills in a lot of the gaps in um, Western canon about what happened to Yeshua before and after the crucifixion and kind of the rest of his life. So um, I've, I've had a lot of people tell me that reading that part gave him a lot of healing about, about um, the topic of, of Yeshua. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. But, yeah. But, but Christ is Chris, And it's basically break down the word Christ of, which is Christala or crystalline consciousness. It's, Kara Asa La, which is the seven sacred geometric tones in creation in your Oh my goodness. Ka Okay, so Mer is light, Ka is spirit, and Ba is body. Okay. Yes. Your Christ body Trinity. is your Mer Ka Ba. Beautiful. Kara Asa La. Okay, does it make sense? Yeah. The, the knowledge, the music too. That's like Pythagoras. Yes, like, yeah, yes. That's, that's very ancient goodness, right there. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, nobody discovers anything new. They just find old stuff. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, and then they come up with their own interpretations and come up with their own like conspiracies and you know whatever, whatever. So, but I always go back to early. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any good folklore stories on serpents in Lumeria um, and ser- serpents in Asia? Like, we love yeah. serpent symbology around here. Yeah. So when I was at um, Laos, at the one of my mom's um, recent monastery um, artwork, I studied the artwork of the mermaids of the area. And um, in Lumeria, according to those folklores that they have depicted in basically all the artwork in in many um, Buddhist temples and uh, canon, is that um, we lived with the mermaids. There was another civilization of of highly advanced mermaids, and they would live and um, in peace with the Lemurian giants and the Lemurian people. Um, but as when the mega flood happened, some of the mermaids kind of supposedly helped save some of the people. But they, but most of the people ended up perishing because they couldn't make it to the the highlands high enough, fast enough. Um, but that's all we have of the mermaids. But the mermaids stay away from us after the mega flood, just because it was a long time before civilization repaired itself. You know, you you go from advanced civilization to how do you make a hut all over again? 
Yeah. That is really, really heavy. <laughs> but also I, so I was lucky enough uh, to live out on the big Island for about eight years. And um, I'm, I'm fascinated with uh, Polynesian culture and, and it's like some, the most beautiful, amazing spirit and voices too. Like, I mean, some of these uncles that can just sing in harmony and harmonize like four at a time. You're just mm-hmm. like, you're like, you guys are angels. You're singing angels. It's crazy. Uh, mesmerizing. Anyways. Um, yeah. I heard of a lot of. Well, uh, here's the. Oh, they have lots of beautiful mermaid stories. Now mermaids are just like humans. There's good ones and there's bad ones. Quote, quote, bad in parentheses. But, um, but, you know, there's mischievous ones that like to play jokes. I mean, there's a lot of stories about um, in Laos about mermaids falling in love with a man or a man falling in love with a mermaid. And, you know, just a whole bunch of, of mermaid stories. Um, that can be a whole different book of mermaid folklores. But, um, but yes, in Buddhist artwork, in all the temples, they do have artwork about the mermaid empire. There was a lot of empires, but the biggest empires, according to Buddhist artwork, is Lemuria. And it got taken down by the mega flood, um, and as well as their um, sister civilization on Earth at the time, which is Atlantis, got taken down by the mega flood. Now I live in Washington. Okay, now this uh, I think John Hancock, or not John Hancock, but um, Graham Hancock. Yeah, he's yes, really. Yeah. He, I recommend um, people go to his work because he's really good at the Americas, and the Americas is a merging of Atlantis folklores. And giants from there, and um, Lemurian folklores, and giants from there. It's emerging. It's a melting pot because it's between oh, the that's two. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that's why sometimes you you see some stuff like in in South America that reminds you a lot of the Lemurian um, Asian cultures, and then you go to the opposite side. It reminds you a lot of um, like non Asian. Like, oh, this is a different influence. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that, that's a hypothesis. That's a hypothesis. But um, it's right in the middle, you know, I mean, it makes sense that there would be, you know, a crossover. Yeah, yeah. So um, and and a lot of the because I interviewed with um, some megalithic uh, explorer YouTube channel hosts and a lot of the early, early um, chiefs, they had blonde hair. Hmm. You know, they're blonde Asians or blonde Native Americans, whatever you that want to call is, them. That is that ties a lot into Dan works with the box saga. Yeah. Um, and there's some there's some ties in there that I'm hearing. I'm sure Dan yeah. made those connections a while ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Dan, if you ever go to Washington, if you guys go to Washington, everybody who comes to Washington. I was born in Port Angeles. OK, well, then you then you should go. You should go to Palouse Falls. Where's Palouse Falls. Oh my goodness! If you live in Washington, um, everybody should go to Palouse Falls Park, and it's really hard to find. But you basically go towards Spokane, and um, they don't really have direction, but you just kind of dr- drive in the direction of where it's supposedly Palouse Falls Park is, and you just drive forever for like an hour, two hours in the middle of nowhere. You follow one road, and then you eventually drive right into Palouse Falls, oh, wow. and um, Palouse Falls is a park in Washington and it looks like the Grand Canyon and um, you can find it on, on the, their website, the government website. And basically there was a mega flood, the geological evidence um, that proves this as a fact that there, 
because it kind of carves into a big circle amphitheater. But um, and it looks like Grand Canyon. And basically what happened is there was a mega flood 13,000 years ago that came through. It carved out a, a kind of a semicircle um, in the Palouse area of Washington, took out a huge citywide area, which they now call the Scablands, which if you take a mm-hmm. helicopter tour, you're going to go and look at it. It's huge. They look like water recessing into the <laughs> in, into the ocean. But it's a city citywide aerial view of of land looking like water recess, resetting into the into the ocean but um so that's physical evidence that there was a megalithic flood proportion that basically created a grand a, a grand canyon size um amphitheater in washington um 13,000 years ago and uh, if you look at some of my other interviews um i show pictures of that as well but that's what everybody should go to look at is Palouse Falls, and that falls right in the line with um, all the the Lemurian folklores of it happening over ten thousand years ago, over twelve thousand years ago. Mm. Right, right into is, that. Is there any connection between Atlantis and Peru? Um, I haven't. I I I haven't really gone into and because there's. No Buddhist folklores of that that I've okay. come across. Most of the Buddhist folklores, because I remember I just fo- I work on f- Buddhist folklores um, from my upbringing and studying Buddhist folklores, getting bored of studying basic Buddhism. I got into the mandalas work, and then I got into the Lemurian folklores coming mm-hmm. out of the Buddhist canon. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if there is some influence from Atlantis. Like I said, the land, the Americas is um is a mixture of both sides of the ocean. Okay. So is there, yeah, is there any like, uh, stories or artwork of what these Lemurians might've looked like? Yeah. They were giants that had, um, they're basically blonde, blonde hair, blue eyed Asians that are giants. Okay. Or red hair or red hair. Um, the, in the pyramids of China, they had, they have in secret um, mummies, but you can probably find it because some people have taken pictures and put it on the internet. But they have the ancient mummies who are like 10 or so feet tall, and they have red hair or, or blonde hair. Is there any use of um, psychoactive plants or like any cool like plants that tie to old? I mean, you have plumeria, which is an absolutely amazing uh, flower that smells like some sort of heaven. Um, but I, I love plants and, um, I was wondering, uh, through the folklore studies, have you found any, uh, cool use of plants or any connection to plant medicine that ties into this? Um, I haven't, I haven't gotten into the medicinal part. I know plumeria is the flower of Laos. Oh yeah. Plumeria is the flower of Laos, but if you go through that Laos, there isn't many plumeria growing wild, which is kind of funny. <laughs> well it's lumeria with a p in front of them. I mean, it's just like yeah it's yeah right there, yeah you know? it's yeah so it's it, it's a plant that's not abundant in laos but it is the national flower of laos is plumeria <laughs> well we gotta go plant some plumeria trees over there <laughs> yeah guess, yeah and and the yeah the dirt is red just like hawaiian dirt oh wow. red too mm. yeah the dirt is red but um you know the the here's here's the thing on on a side note because i I do from my Buddhist Mandala's book series, which 
I hope to finish the third book so I can finally get to um, the Pyramid Megalith book, uh, which is on hold because of current world events. But um, with the Buddhist mandalas, people read the Buddhist mandalas book series and they start having, they think they've already had their awakening and they have even opened the door to even more <laughs> levels of consciousness and the freak show aspect of reality hits them even more that so that they're now like babies all of a sudden like i thought i was awakened and i thought i was having a sixth sense already and i thought i was good and and then i read the book and i'm like i don't know shit (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna definitely swoop i'm gonna swoop them up i'm i'm excited to actually read them yeah yeah it's i get a lot of people like oh yeah yeah it's like i was like oh well you know what you know it's not a one-time thing Okay, it's not a one-time thing. Awakening is not a one-time thing. It's awakening just to demystify what it is. Yeah, it's it's to basically see mm. is awake within the matrix. You see more of reality because your frequency yep. is higher. You just keep raising your frequency through your choices and intentions and how you live your life yeah. and picking which timeline and which reality you want to experience um, and just navigating the matrix, navigating samsara. And so you're just raising your energy field. Okay, that's all awakening is. is just seeing you see more reality yeah. because you're raising your frequency. That's all it is. Yeah, and cleaning okay. it up, cleaning it up, and raising it, and just yeah. doing the work. The work. It. It's, it's the work. Oh. It's the work. It's the work. Okay, you. I mean, you. You can go and take a bunch of retreats and and this and that, but if you don't do the work, you're not going to get the personal um, uh, resonance. You're not going to raise your frequency. Okay, you can do as many meditations as you want, but if you don't clean up your consciousness, you address your dense issues, your mommy-daddy issues, your issues with society, blah, 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 the things that are holding down your perspective on samsara, you're putting on your perspective with your relationship to God or consciousness, all those things, if you don't clean up that stuff, you're not going to be building moving forward with a clean plate and a more wise version or insight of reality so there's, there's a whole thing and so oftentimes when people go i read buddhist mandalas i'm starting to have this freak out issues and wow first how can i get a hold of my six senses so they don't take over so i work with a lot of people who have six senses because they have opened up um their consciousness to the greater reality and so um you know i'll have consultations with people around the world i'll give you some examples so i had this i had this college student who loved this stuff. And then she decided to read Buddhist mandalas. She read Buddhist mandalas. And she's always been psychic growing up, um, kind of feeling people's health and energy. But now all of a sudden she um, can see people's auras all the time. She can see the aura field of the TV, her radio, everything, everything, plants, animals. It's just like a psychedelic trip all the time. And it's very, very distractive. She's always wearing glasses. She doesn't want to be around people or, or go out anywhere because it's just, it's a sensory overload. She couldn't sleep because she can hear it, just hear everything. And so, um, you know, she went to a psychologist. They gave her uh, meds saying that you're going crazy. Go, you could hear some meds, um, all that kind of stuff, but it never worked. And then she watched one of these fabulous um, podcast came across my material and said, I'm going to just try this. And so she, you know, I talked to her and she said, are you going to think I'm crazy? And I said, no, but go ahead. Um, and then she told me, I said, oh, okay. So you are raising your frequency and now your sixth sense is, is even more heightened. So I worked with her and I gave her some recommendations. Um, and so now she's able to exist 
in life do her job be out amongst people and not have the sensory overload now she's got it under control uh, it's kind of like a child that all of a sudden grows to a foot over the summer and, be, and becomes you know klutzy mm. all of a sudden well it doesn't make you special it just means that you're a little bit taller and you're a little klutzy so you have to learn how to live within your new body in a very short period of time and same exact thing over six senses. We all have it, but we haven't activated them all. When we activate them, we have to learn to master our abilities as another aspect of, of who we are and how we exist within the world. So, so that's what she did. And then, you know, follow up. She said, now I'm starting to see these dark patches in people. And I said, well, why don't you talk to those people and see what the dark patches are about? And it happened to be that's their pain. So if they have a shoulder pain, there's a darkness around their energy field, around the shoulder, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, well, you know, there's about 8 billion or so people in the world, and they happen to be in your presence. It's probably part of the pre-life plan that there is no accident. They're in your presence for a reason of the 8 billion people that could be in the world around. So just um, if you don't feel anything telling you not to, go ahead and give them energy healing. Just imagine the black spot gone. Pull it out of their energy field. In your mind, just pull it out, uh, connect your heart, and just have um, your crystalline consciousness, have God just clear it out of their oral field, <clears throat> and then talk to them. And she started doing that. And people were like, oh, I, just, I don't feel that pain in my shoulder anymore. Nothing's been bugging me forever. And I said, don't worry about it. If it was part of their pre-life plan to have that pain, it will come back. They'll find a way to bring it back. Okay, so that's what she does now. She walks around just basically just healing animals and just healing everything in her presence. And now, you know, her and her um, her boyfriend, they are trying to move out of L.A. to go into the Midwest to kind of have a much more uh, organic lifestyle and start a healing retreat along with with her her work from home job. But the other thing that's interesting, too, is that she said that she started seeing people in her family who got the COVID vaccine. Um, that that their life force was starting to some of them, their life force was starting to dim because she could see aura fields, and so they used to be very bright and now they're dimming, and when they completely dim, they die. Wow. Okay. So uh, the light goes out. The energy the energy goes out. Then they cross over, but when they cross over, it's not this sad thing. It's just. Now their energy field is of a different frequency, and now they exist in that realm with spirit. Hmm. Okay, so those are the six senses that happen when you come into another further awakening um, and ascension of your frequency. Ascending ascension is again another one of these buzzwords that is misunderstood. But in Buddhism, ascension is just ascending, raising your frequency, raising your vibration from your consciousness, and um, and your intentions and how you create your next best reality based off of your intentions, thoughts, feelings, and action. Because there needs to be action to manifest and create those next best experiences. And then, of course, the universe will conspire and, and put things in place if that's where you want to you want to manifest and move move into into that timeline or that parallel reality. But um, when people come into it, they're like, oh, well, that totally makes sense. So it's never an ending place to be. I was like, no, there's never an end. Okay. There's, there's never somebody's going to come on a spaceship and take you to the fifth dimension to another place. 
out there somewhere. No, consciousness, consciousness is much more sophisticated than that. Much more sophisticated than those physical 3D interpretations of how things are in terms of what is awakening, what is ascension. No, the, the sophisticated level has always been around. It's been in Buddhist mandalas and all these um, artwork and all these megalithic ancient temples and pyramids all over the place. They all talk about enlightenment. And the enlightenment is that uh, you are energy and you have dominion over the physical reality. And your dominion over the physical reality is what, based off of your consciousness level and energy field, will take you to your next, be- next best parallel experience in a different timeline. And everybody's going to go to the, the one that's a fit for them. There might be some crossover, but eventually, if they don't match your frequency, you don't match theirs, you're not going to have, you're not going to have those uh, parallel experiences with each other. They're going to move to a different version. Okay, so yeah. that's that's yeah, that's, that's ascension. The that, that's the that's the good work right there. Yeah, that's Buddhism in the fifth dimension. That's my other podcast from Macabre Chakras. Okay, that's your awakening. Uh, is yeah. That's your, okay, no one's going to save you. No. Okay, how how can you save a well, a, a demigod? You might be able to, I might, you know, you, you, I'm sure you've done your work of saving people, but that's not saving people. That's working with and, and yeah, that's just compassion. That's compassion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like saving somebody who's going to drown is compassion and action. (laughs) Okay. Maybe meant to be. And maybe part of the life plan, you know, maybe, but in, in terms of saving you from reality or from a negative timeline or anything else, you can be exposed to the material, but if you don't do the work, you're not going to reap the the fruit so of it. The, I'm, I'm going to ask a question then on this because, the you know, I, I'm not super keen on the complete reincarnation cycle on the Buddhist side. I know mm-hmm. it's a thing, right? And so mm-hmm. is it is it just this, mul- like, multiplicity of just com- continuous repetition until you make the work, or is there like a a threshold on that or what's your belief um, system with the reincarnation cycle period? Right. <laughs> so, so basically it's, it's very simple. If you want to come back into physicality from spirit, you will speak to your pre-life planner, kind of like your, your, your tour guide when you, your travel agent, well, what do you want to experience? Oh, okay. Well, do you want to learn some life lessons while you're doing this so that you can kind of grow spiritually, have an understanding of what unconditional love is, uh, have an understanding of forgiveness, have an understanding of what whatever it is that you're, you know, you came to do, you want to have some fun, whatever. So there's all these elements when you plan your vacation and your excursions that go along with that vacation. In the spirit world, planning your next excursion, which is your next life cycle, is a big deal. Okay, and so a lot of people, a lot of souls will have spent eons just researching through the library of souls experiences to try to go, oh, I like that experience. Let me try to model that one. I like this one. I'm going to try to I'm going to try to model this one. And then when they go in to their meeting with the pre-life planner or your your tour guide, then they will plan that out. And then you if you decide to wake up into the earth reality, you don't have remembrance because that's part of the, <laughs> that's part of the game is amnesia and earth. You sign up for that. You sign up for that. Earth is kind of like a master class 
Okay, if you already knew it all, then there wouldn't be any fun. Okay, yeah. so you, you kind of like the little element of surprise of falling in love with the same person you married 20 times over again in a different way. Okay. <laughs> like, That's cool. That's a beautiful love story. I mean, that reincarnation soul cycle love story, like pre-planning that. Wow. Yeah. That's a sob story right there. I love that. But most people come back. Most people choose to come back into physicality into because Earth is not the. I mean, in in Buddhism, Earth is not the only place to incarnate into. Okay, there's other planets, universes, dimensions. You can incarnate into different dimensions within spirit. Okay, there's different experiences within yes. spirit. Okay, you can you can work on being an archangel. You can work on being a you know. There's a lot of different experiences, just like. Here on Earth, you know, you can be a mom, you can be a working mom, you can be a dad, you can be, you know, a politician, you can be a business person. There's a lot of experiences in which you can spend your whole life. Tree. You can be a coconut tree, a coconut <laughs> crab. <laughs> so anyways, there's a lot of experiences even on Earth while you're living that you could choose to be. But even yeah. in the spirit world, when you're pre-planning these incarnations, you can incarnate into physicality or you can incarnate into another element of spirit. There's yes. a lot to choose from, and that's why there's never an end. Okay, um, so and most people they choose to incarnate back into the physical experience usually because of the love for their friends and family. So, like, like they may have like a best friend, or they may have a a, a family member or somebody who's going back into that experience, and you may have outgrown that. But they're like, please, please, I really, really want to work on fixing this issue that's been plaguing me all my life about like my fear of xxx um so i have this this idea but i want somebody to come along with me that it's kind of like my support system i need my wingman or my wing girl to kind of be there with me and so maybe as a best friend as a soul you're going oh god earth again all right what on earth this time is going to get me to incarnate with you so that you can have this experience of being a I don't know, a business tycoon that you really want. So you can overcome your fear of, of being successful, whatever. So what are you going to get? Okay. So maybe, you know, your friend as a soul might go, well, you know, um, there's, there's going to be uh, computers and there's going to be, we're going to be building spaceships and there's going to be a lot of travel and blah, blah. You know, you try and sell your friend and your friend might be going, okay, sure. Boom. You guys get reincarnated. You guys find each other. God, it's like we know each other forever. This, but we've just like best buds forever. <laughs> we just know each other. Like we talked, we just met, but it's just almost like we've always been around. You do maybe a, a past life regression. Yeah, you guys have been best buds a couple of different lifetimes and you keep going back because you love your friend. You're like, all right, I'll be your wingman this one more time. But it's kind of like that. It's like and that's like first dates. It's like the first dates, yeah. It's, <laughs> and that's a common one that people come back to is because they're like, forget all the other stuff. That's just the world current affairs in terms of which game, which vacation you want to go to. You want to be Asian this time? You want to be American? Which one, you know, everybody there's has always the, problems on Earth, right? Like, is it as above, so below? Like, is there problems on the etherical realm as well as here? Like, and then maybe people are trying to keep it suppressed here and then there's people trying to come back and you know try to like heal earth is that is that a part of reincarnation at all like healing the earth realm like the planet itself yeah every single every single i call them chess boards or games game boards every single game board has their own element 
Oh. You know, and, and their own obstacles that they're trying to work through and stuff. And actually, in creation, there's a lot of experiences that are extremely peaceful and serene. Yeah. But not every soul wants to go to the perfect place because it's boring for them. They may want to come into yeah. a place that has some work to do so they can, like, you know, feel like they're chipping in to do their, their service a little bit, help out, you know. Because if everything was perfect, you'd be bored. Music, I, music. I think there's some people that need the souls that come back, and they're just like their goal is to just yeah music and just be like I'm gonna go back and uh, just you know I'm gonna just be, make the biggest jazz band and we're gonna tour exactly forever. exactly so. exactly and you know and and like I said most of the times when it comes and you guys can all do a past life future life life between life regression I do it with my clients who are happen to be star seeds which are reincarnated souls of um of aliens from different dimensions and planets that yep, reincarnate yep. as humans and they may have bleed through um of their old lifetimes as aliens as civilizations but a lot of them also have uh, ufo um contact abductions uh stories and um fantasies and dreams about their alien collective because they're reincarnation of a different alien collective that has come into the earth experience and their collective is learning and growing from their firsthand experience as a human do you being. Believe, do you believe that there's just, uh, is there, is there ever a time that a spirit soul of a human um, or any living thing by that matter can be just born strictly of earth? Because like there's this oh, strong yeah. push for modern science to like create, you know, life in a lab. And I'm wondering if that's like some weird twisted type of soul journey of sorts or what's up with that? That's crazy. Um, it depends. Okay. So you can't create a soul. Okay. Consciousness <laughs> creates souls. God creates souls. Now souls can choose if they want to, to incarnate into that physical experience that's available. So like, if you look, if you look at, Many, many years ago, um, there was the first lamb or sheep that was created in a lab. Okay. It didn't. Yes. It didn't live so long, but it was perfectly healthy. It didn't live so long. Um, And in my mind, the reason why it didn't live long, because it didn't have a soul that incarnated into that body. But all the other sheep did. And that's why they lived longer. Without the life essence of any fractal element of crystalline consciousness, God in you, you're just a machine. The life force, the force is what keeps it going. That's the energy of the universe. That's why the transformers need the Tesseract so they can have. Yes. I love that. Yes. Yes. You guys are getting it. (laughs) Uh, Hollywood, Hollywood is fully informed on the reincarnation process. Yes multiple like old crazy occultic esoteric magical practices no doubt oh yeah well my favorite reincarnation stories is the love stories and my husband and i we've been married many 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 times i keep coming back because he he keeps wanting to have different experiences so i'm like okay fine i'll I'll come back i'll do it i'll do it again but um so because i'm beyond i'm beyond uh, that's why i get i stay very neutral and sometimes he gets caught up in um 
current events. I'm like, let's just wait a couple of weeks. So it'll die down. There'll be something else. Um, but, uh, but I come back for him and I've done reincarnation and um, we've been married many different times. We, we had lifetimes where we were both Nazis, but we were not Nazis. We were pulled, we were debutantes that were pulled into the Nazi regi- regime, and my husband was um, in charge of doing kind of the finance budget bookkeeping to to see, well, where do you put the bodies? Where do you put people here for work? How many people do you need to this work? He does the same exact job right now for Boeing. I call it counting beans. You know, how much money do you allocate to this project? How about the label cost, cost here? How much money, resources do you allocate there? All Same exact thing. In a, um, but in that lifetime, um, he hated the job. He absolutely hated it. He knew what he was doing. He absolutely hated the job. Um, and um, I would, when I would go and whenever they had trains of new people, I would look for specific ones or two groups, you know, maybe a dad and a son or just some orphan kids. And I would have my, um, my secret minions take them and we'll put them in the ghetto somewhere. Don't tell them anything. Just stick them in the ghettos and tell them where to get food and leave them alone. And then, of course, D-Day happened, all that. But that was that lifetime. I've had another lifetime with my husband and I where I was a mulatto. I was a um, mixed slave of mixed breed. Very beautiful. And my husband bought me um, in um, the Caribbean to be his mistress. But, of course, we fell in love or he fell in love with me. And I fell in love because it was very kind. But... um, I ended up, because we had a child, a son, and I ended up escaping with my son to Canada, to North, because I didn't want him to be part of the slave. Even though he had a silver spoon in his mouth, I didn't want him to be part of the slave. And my husband, in that lifetime, he had to make an heir, a legitimate heir for the plantation. And so he married a white woman just to have a kid. But we always stayed together, and I didn't want that kind of marriage that kind of open marriage where he was, he and I are unofficially together, married, have a kid and he loves me and spends all his time with me, but he's just basically fulfilling the contract with this other white woman and, and having a kid there. So I left and he was brokenhearted and, and um, got really sick and his wife ended up trying to find where I live and she found me and I said, I'm not going back to be a slave and neither is my son. And she said, no, I respect that. Um, can you come and just visit him? Um, Cause he's, he's dying and he's really sad. And so I said, okay, fine, I'll come. But that, that's the agreement. So I would come and visit, but eventually he got better and he would come up to the North every six months and spend months, half a year with me and only come back for, for business. Um, his wife hated me um, because of it. And um, you know, but he fulfilled his contract. Um, in this lifetime, in past life regression, because I do this to myself as well, um, the man that sold me in the slave trade, and it's not like a slave trade where uh, you, you're actually like in chains. With in in that lifetime, they parade the beautiful mistresses around in a kind of like a ballroom. So you kind of like ballroom dance, it's kind of like a mixer, and that's how they that's how they. Uh, advertise the women but anyways the man that sold me is a friend of my um in this lifetime of my husband's parents we went to Barbados to the exact one of the houses which is now um a brewery a whiskey distillery 
and I saw my name in the charter. Hmm. Uh, my husband walked in and we didn't even know the inside of the layout. He walked straight to the bedroom. He went to the bathroom, just like he lived there. I'm like, how do you know where things are? He's like, I don't know. I just had to go. And so we just had some very surreal moments where we're like, huh, this, why is this island so familiar? This is our honeymoon. Why is this island so familiar? Um, the plantation in which my husband um, at that time uh, inherited it was in um, Virginia and around that area. And that was substantiated in the, the, the charter of all the slaves that were sold out of Barbados, including myself. So we, ironically, just going through our honeymoon and falling into an old lifetime in which we fell in love in, in that lifetime. Now, in that lifetime, as a, as a slave, um, uh, I was telling my husband, unofficial husband, to be really kind to the slaves. So all the slaves in his possession had the ability to get education. They had good health. They were fed well. They, you know for what you were available to give you, they were given good accommodations as best as they possibly can. Um, I reincarnated again in the next lifetime, him and I reincarnated again. And at that one, I'm a white woman, I'm a beautiful white woman. But, but as a beautiful white woman, I had more availability in my possession to make a difference in my employees' lives. However, the kindness stops when they start infringing onto other slaves' masters' jurisdiction. So there were some skirmishes with that. So we had a lot of these different things, and I actually ended up working with um, a woman who always had this dream of being uh, a slave woman, kind of being sold out uh, through a kind of a ball mixer, and she's her and I was like, oh, I had that dream as well. And then I met her and she was from the other lifetime. And then another um, black gentleman I worked with, I met him and he grabbed my arm one day. He grabbed my wrist one day and it just felt like uh, like fire. I was like, oh my God, get, get your arm off my wrist. It felt like fire. And he's like, yeah, you felt like fire too. And I'm like, what? And then I immediately had this image of um, having my wrist burned because I was trying to stop one of my employees from, or one of my slaves from being um, brutalized for trying to save his, uh, his girlfriend. Okay. So, it, it, but in this life, I met um, my coworker who was that slave and that was instant. So you have these weird believe through moments in your current life when you come across souls from previous lifetimes. Because, you know, sometimes we like, we like to, oh, I'm going to do XXX in this life. I want to plan some of these critical excursions and elements, but I like to kind of do what people I'm familiar with. Yeah. So can we scratch each other's back? So, I mean, that's, that's a little bit of how we pre-plan our life. And we don't have to pre-plan horrible lives okay we may pre-plan them just to get into it but we can always change the contract we can always change yes. the storyline you don't have to follow through with any of the storyline that you set up for yourself you could change it at any time hmm. yeah that's that's 100 percent true i mean it's kind of like a simulation even though that term gets thrown around a lot it's like 
you know, I'm even starting to wonder if like, you know, like there's just even any limit to the resources that earth has, like, you know, if that's just a concept, you know, I mean, not saying I'm trying to ever go and disrespect this beautiful realm like that and strip of, you know, uh, resources, but I'm just saying like it, you know, there's this people understand that things can change and manipulate, but yet they get, they get kind of held back in this concept of like, you know, Oh no, you know, there's a limit. There's a limit there because that's what you, that's what we've been told. There's a, there's a limit. You know, mm-hmm. but I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really, I mean, like I've had enough synchronicities and synchro mystic uh, situations in my life to just basically, I'm like, there's no way that I, I, I think there's a limit to anything that we're, we're capable of and, and bound to in a life, especially when it comes to torture, you know, and, and things that bring um, a dole onto the spirit and the soul. Yeah, right. I mean, suffering is suffering. The level of suffering is how much suffering do you have to have before you realize the lesson? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's definitely, yeah, exactly. No, there's, there's shit that needs to happen to you so you can actually, in order for, you know, to get that message to your original, you know, resonance, yeah. you know, you're like, Hey bud, like you, you remember this? Why are you so dull headed mind? Yeah. Why you gotta do it over again? How many broken marriages of the same type of person do you have to have before you realize that you, you don't need this lesson anymore. <laughs> you're, you're better than this. And you're, 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 you're able to have healthy relationships. That's you know, you don't, you don't need that domestic violence, you know, channel going on all the time over and over again. How many times do you got to continue to self-sabotage yourself before you learn the lesson? Some people, they need a lot. Other people, a little touch, that's enough. They're like, I already got the lesson. I don't need it. I'm, I'm done. But, you know, that's, that's, that's the thing. So that's a whole thing to reincarnation, and it's not required. Some people have never reincarnated. They've always stayed in the spirit world. Uh, Metatron. Archangel Metatron. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I speak to him about him because um, he oh, was wow. he was in the Jewish canon. Metatron was a um, a teacher, and he's Ezekiel. But one of his Whole names, is, yeah, one of his names is um, is Metatron, and he is associated with Metatron's cube because when he got his um, initial awakening into spirituality and basically the whole holographic nature of reality from consciousness, he saw all these sacred geometric shapes. And that's what he was talking about. Was, he was talking about this kind of stuff, Buddhist mandala stuff. And so they just named it Metatron's Cube because that's what he was talking about. It's associated with him. But it's not something that he created. He just discovered the same knowledge in all of creation. Um, but um, so Metatron is an archangel and he decided to incarnate as a human being to kind of help humanity and see what this is all about and he realized god it's really hard to be human (laughs) this is one of the hardest missions i've ever had it's really hard i can see why they make so much mistakes i have empathy yeah Uh, Yeah. to switch it back to lemuria a little bit uh yes they are reincarnated souls from atlantis and lemuria that's reincarnated (laughs) this time yep to make yep. sure that this doesn't happen again. I, I definitely am somewhere like I've had one past life regression and it didn't hit me until a year later because, you know, the the beautiful human that was, <laughs> um, you know, having, I was giving me this experience told me that I was like, you know, I was kind of let that I was kind of bummed at it at the moment. But now I think that's silly. But I was like, a, 
you know, watching like a temple, like I was like a, a guard uh, security at like a temple mm-hmm. inside was like some like some cool, like esoteric cult going on or some shit. And, and the story of black dog comes up to me and I, I've always had a love for dogs. I've never had a dog, but I was waiting for the perfect time to get one, you know, always kind of whenever it happened. And um, I didn't think about it until like a year later when, you know, randomly my friend's uh, brother like had this dog that he couldn't watch because he's a nurse and this dog's too wild or whatever. Go. And it's this black dog, this beautiful Pitbull Shepherd blend. And we had a bond like the I may, I wrote like a song the day I got him and I didn't even mean to. I just, you know, things happen and energy was just so perfect. And I'm like, this is literally my best friend, you know, like to the end. And, uh, she, I was told about him in a past life story and it took me a year after the getting him that I even dawned on that, that happened. And I'm like, wow, like that, it was, she told, I was like, I don't even know. This stuff is so beautiful. I love it Mm -hmm. so much. You know, I just did an episode on Macabre Chakra's podcast, which you can find on YouTube and five different video sharing websites and 65, um, podcast sites. Macabre chakras, and I just did an episode um, interviewing a pet whisperer on how to connect to your deceased pets and loved ones to your deceased pets. And we had this conversation about um, pet souls coming back to basically be your pet, like like you adopt the pet in your uh, soul circle. You, you know your your soul group. Your pets are part of your soul group as well. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I, I didn't hear. I didn't. I didn't. We lost the your um the the recording or not. But anyways, back to Atlantis no, and Lemuria because it's so easy to get wrapped into the spiritual side of 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 things when you're talking pyramids and megaliths. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of pyramids and megaliths are developed to have that connection with source with the crystalline consciousness. Okay. Yeah. I had a few questions. Uh, because a lot of people will talk about Lemuria, but they'll also say Mu. Is there a distinction between the two? Is it two different places? Is one later than the other? Or is Mu just uh, like a shortening for Lemuria? Mu, Mu is a short for Lemuria, just like the States is a short for the United States. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the Moors, the Moors. Yeah. Is there a connection between like more? Uh, and Lemuria, M-O-R-S. yeah. The oh, you mean the um, the ones in Japan? Uh, Mediterranean, northern Mediterranean, or not, or southern Mediterranean, northern uh, Africa. Oh, uh, um, that I don't know because I don't I don't know anything about that regarding because it's not written in Buddhism. Okay, and okay. then what uh, about Japan though? That sounds interesting. Japan is in Buddhism because remember Japan has Yunaguni. Uh-huh. And the Japan is part of Lemuria. And then I was wondering is was like the Philippine Islands once all like a giant landmass and then yeah. after the flood uh you just see the high points of of that area? Yes. So all the islands according to the Buddhist folklore, Lemuria is basically most of the Pacific that includes all the islands along the Pacific of today, like Australia, New Zealand, Japan, all the way up there. Um, and it goes even further into towards the America. So it's very big, long, huge landmass. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that's why when I did my my initial research, going, I have a book here. Now I need to go and look at all of the stuff for copyright free pictures, uh, which I'll talk about in a minute. But that's why 100% of the time when I look at the big islands all along the uh, Pacific Pacific Rim, they all have a megalithic pyramid because they're part of Mu, Lemuria. And was there different, like, distinctive groups of people in Lemuria? And did they go to different places in uh, the other continents after, after it sank? Or how many survived? Or is there... Well, a lot of them died. A lot, according to the Buddhist folklores, um, a lot of them died because they couldn't make it to the top of the hills, the very top tops. Okay, the ones that survived the one went to the very top tops, or they had access to a boat very quickly and can get into boats um, and leave. Now, the folklore says that a lot of the seafaring people that ended up inhabiting a lot of the remaining islands that were left mm-hmm. after the mega flood, um, they they were bumping around the water for some time before they could find land. Mm. So um, it, it had ravaged a lot of, of the, the continent. Okay. okay. Yeah. So um, it wasn't, according to the Buddhist folklores, it wasn't one ship. It was a lot of ships, a lot of seafaring, and they went everywhere to find land. They went to their their old home area is all underwater. There's nothing left. They might be this a little, yeah. a little peak, and that's and ended up where they end up settling and starting all over again. You know, should we without, start building boats? Do you think we should start? We sh- everybody should have a boat. Probably. Do you think the flood's going to happen again? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, I'm not a geologist, but uh, we have boats. Um, but the the thing with a sailboat. <laughs> Something you can yeah. live in. Something yes. you can live in. So the people who had access in the Lemurian times, according to folklore, is who had like a livable boat. Not a speedboat, but like a sailboat or you know, a livable boat that you could live in for prolonged periods of time. They're the ones who said, honey, get your shit. Let's get in the boat. We got to go. We got to go. We got to get away from these waves. And then they just kind of roamed around for a long time, a long time. And the same thing happened, too, in the opposite side in Atlantis. According to the folklore, the people of Atlantis, the seafaring people, the people who were already on boats or had access to boats to leave early, when it all settled, everything settled, a lot of these seafaring people just started migrating around the oceans trying to find land. Oh, it's around crazy. where they're. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Please keep going. Yeah. Sorry. Oh no, but um, but they went to Atlantis and they just saw mud. They just saw mud where their families used to be. There was nothing. There was nothing, and so they just roamed around until they could find land, and then they ended up settling eventually into the surrounding lands. That's why you have this diaspora of influence of culture. Um, and same thing with Lemira. You have diaspora influence of Lemurian cultures all around the surrounding continents. Because yeah, do you think like a uh... Like the Asian people are descendants of Lemuria, and that's where, like, they all came from there, and went into like China and India and everything, like the Denisovans I'm, or something. They're probably already. There are probably a lot of them were already over there, right? Like that. Yeah. So definitely right. on the outskirts, or even maybe some heartland. I don't know. 
Well, see, that's debated because that goes so far back in time. But I know that many years ago they did genetic research on some peoples of the Polynesian islands and 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 China and Asia, and um, they found through genetic testing that the peoples of the Polynesian islands were descendants of the Asian continent. Hmm. Okay, which you yeah. know, according to the folklores from what we have available now, a lot of the um, a lot of the megalithic uh, pyramid structures and remnant po- uh, folklores um, out of Russia, Tibet, and China in those areas would substantiate that. Yeah, they just eventually moved into the islands, into the tropics. I mean, we do it today. You you want to get out of the cold and get into the islands, to the beach, and have fun. We do the same thing. Yeah. Uh- do you, do you think like maybe that was the Denisovian people uh, that were the the remnants of Atlantis or not of Lemuria that made it into the Eastern world, and maybe that's why the Eastern and Western kind of belief systems are are a little bit different. Um, I don't I don't really have a, a necessary belief in all the different cultures that sprung up outside of the diaspora of the mega flood. Uh-huh. Um, like I said, I, I just stick to the folklores and we're using the folklores as a treasure map to substantiate this claim of Lemuria being in existence. Mm-hmm. And um, I found 100% accuracy that there is a megalith or pyramid at the top of every single island, big island in the Pacific, which says that the folklore is 100% possibly yeah. true if I can find 100% of evidence that substantiates the folklore. Um, oh, in the I folklore, is there... The time when... Oh. Is in the folklore? Is there anything about how that they built these uh, structures and yeah, temples and yeah. stuff? And yeah, yeah, harmonics. 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 That's what they say in the folklore. Yep, oh, the folklore wow. is harmonics. And Buddhist folklore, um, Buddhist folklore is that you is it, it comes down to frequency and resonance. You have a certain frequency, um, and when you play a certain frequency to an object, it basically um, makes it almost like anti gravity. Mm. And then you can, and then somehow, and then somehow, and then somehow, according to the 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 folklores in Buddhism, once you create that resonance field around the object, then you can somehow navigate to move across long distances to the location that you need. And then when you get there, you just put into place. Damn. We will, we will, we will find, we will find, and they're actually doing research right now into harmonics and frequency and anti-gravity. They're doing that right now with small yeah. things in labs, mm-hmm. but they'll eventually get to the point where they're going to recreate basically what we've already have found hundreds of thousands if of they, years if ago. They haven't al- if they haven't already, and if it's, yeah. uh, there's a large part of me that thinks that there's this, you know, the, the resonant um, type of science, like resonant science is being suppressed on purpose um, because there's some sort of, I mean, I don't mean to get all like cynical and real dark, but some sort of like spirit force that's here to make sure that, that people, when they come back into their bodies and they come back into this realm, don't, since they know that they won't remember um, right off the bat, that if they don't tell them about it, then they won't be able to access the resonant magic and resonance and harmonics and like, that kind of like right. you know be- 
you know, there, cause it's like, it's, it's, there's so much suppression on it on a societal level, but there's so many beautiful souls that are constantly that know about it. They talk about it. People talk about these things that they don't realize is like this, you know, beautiful, like synchronicities, for instance, you know, it's like, there's things that are happening in your life on purpose because of the resonance and the soul spirit journey, you know, and, um, and if the, the one page was turned, so I'm like, is there a suppression on purpose of this resonance? And if so, it's my life goal to try to peel that page as much as I can, you know? Right, yeah. right. Um, what I will say is there's a lot of naive young souls being reincarnated. Reincarnated. Because Earth is kind of like a melting pot of advanced souls. Young oh, wow. souls, alien souls, um, Lemurian souls, Atlantean souls. I mean, just a whole—it's a whole melting pot. It's like, it's—it's like a metropolitan of souls. Okay. Now, depending on the pre-life plan, you might have some young souls who go, "I want to be a business like tycoon that takes over the world." How am I going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, in a in advanced soul that knows about consciousness, that knows about crystalline consciousness of source that knows about the holographic reality all this stuff that we're talking about on a spiritual level knows that there is no positive outcome for that route there's wisdom in knowing what routes to avoid because there is nothing you already see around the corner there's nothing there besides more destruction and chaos just you know negative and negative and negative and negative makes more negative you can't make positives out of two negatives okay However, you can put a positive and negative and then have a balance and add more positive, focus on positive, add the positive, and then you eventually have less negative. The negative is never not going to be there because I need polarity. Okay. It's just the way samsara is created. There needs to be polarity in order yeah. to experiences from. And a lot of people don't understand that because they just want to be love and light. And, you know, we fart rainbows all the time. <laughs> but that's not how it is. Okay. Sometimes things stink. Yeah. But yeah. um, but a wise soul knows that you don't punish a child for being a child who's naive and stupid about certain things. Yeah, you teach them. You te- thank yes. you. You teach them, and you also sometimes have to punish them in terms of making them take accountability, making them learn mm-hmm. from the you know lesson, uh, maybe mitigating if they're like a bully and they just don't can't see beyond that maybe mitigating them like maybe putting some restrictions some tariffs some whatever on them whatever the deal <laughs> is you know but that but that's playing out on a, a grand scale with earth too it's just part of the earth experience you're going to have a melting pot of different levels of consciousness and that's exactly how source makes um the earth experience is that the the elder souls teach the na- naive souls the naive ser- souls learn through either the hard knocks or they have wisdom to at least learn from the elder souls, you know, mm, same thing. Yes. Um, I have one final question for you, Roman. Do you have any more questions? Um, I, I mean, like I've been, yeah. What, what's your opinion on, uh, on hollow earth? <laughs> yeah. You, you raise your frequency, you go to um, Tibet, you find that portal and you find out for yourself. <laughs> yeah. all right i'm done uh yeah my, my question is uh you, you talk a lot about the, like the folklore and stuff is there like a really cool 
a good folklore story that you can share with us uh, to end out this conversation? Maybe, maybe your favorite one or uh, something. Oh, my, oh, my, there's so many. My favorite one is really not a folklore until you experience it. Um, my favorite one is when the naive human realizes that they are more than what they are and that they're actually demigods playing naive and um they connect the source and go back to the bliss of, of spiritual emptiness it's basically it uh-huh. you know but i will say i will i will have a last message for you when i do hypnosis and six sense consultations um i always get the same message from people from source itself and i basically put into these um these phrases and this is what source wants everybody to know, regardless of what they pre-plan in their life here, is that you've always been enough. Use the resources all around you to create the life you want to experience. A life full of love. And you can do it. Excellent. Yes. Love. Love is the yes. answer. Yes. Yes, yes, it is. Frequency, <laughs> resonance, polarity, understanding, goodness, jelly, uh, jelly jam of be- sweet and sour fruits of the earth. So good. So good. This has been the night. You're making me hungry. You're making me hungry, man. Know, hungry, <laughs> hey, you know, that's, that's good. That's good. Um, but seriously, Vaughn, this has been really amazing. And I, I couldn't see any uh, way that this has gone better. Um, we touched on, I mean, everything we like to touch, touch on on this show. Megaliths, um, spiritual side, reincarnation, everything. So, like, this Ancient has been history, a blessing. Lemuria, sunken yeah. continents. Oh, oh. <laughs> Consciousness, Christ consciousness. Oh, oh. Yeah. Roman's uh, had an orgasm over there. He was spiritual orgasm. <laughs> well, you know, we um, we are luckily lucky enough that a lot, a lot of the major players in history with critical information have been reincarnated, have chosen to be incarnate at this time, and we are given a chance to um, make sure that our civilization and humanity at this time uh, do not repeat the, the life lessons mm-hmm. of Lemuria and Atlantis. Because yes. you have, um, you have, you know, especially in the Americas, because mm-hmm. the Americas in terms of reincarnation, and we know this in Buddhism, there's another folklore real quick <clears throat> about the six root race. The mm-hmm. sixth root race of humanity yes. is a mixed breed of people a mixed breed of people who are highly spiritual, very wise, um, and who have basically six senses, superhuman six senses. But they are wise enough with it that they can be responsible. Okay. And all the monks in their meditations and prayers and everything else about the sixth root race, because the last, the fifth root race was the Lemurians. Okay, maybe even some the Atlanteans too, but I just know Lomeria. Um, But the sixth race is supposed to be coming out of the Americas. 
the Americas, the continent of the Americas. So um, being awesome. that, being that many of the souls are reincarnating from Atlantis and Lemuria, if you look at the the map of the world, the middle point is North America. That's crazy. Yeah. What it, you don't think it's going to be transhumanism, do you, or like uh, the, the the technocratic takeover that's seemingly upon us? Because you that's know, what we're trying to prevent. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm trying to prevent too. That's I mean, what we're trying to prevent like, because okay. that will be a repeat of Atlantis all over again, of the technology oh, yeah. taking over the people so much that they oh, lost the wisdom gosh. and spiritual connection. But that's there why you have a lot of Lemurian souls that are reincarnated here as well, or have come here because of political asylum like myself yes. okay okay I, I i i vibe with that you know i'm i, I don't I, I mean i would hope to be so lucky enough to be an ancient lemurian so but you, you know, might be an ancient atlantean you know. trying to trying to undo come back and undo what you partook in last time oh, you, shit. you, you might like be writing also. a wrong see we you were asking earlier roman why do people keep reincarnating back i don't know what's what's the point of reincarnating back what do you get out of it why am i reincarnated yeah maybe you maybe you were in yeah yeah ask yourself but there are people who had did a wrong and they want a chance to come back and undo a wrong and make right Hmm. and this might be that yes yo uh absolutely Absolutely. Uh, wow. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Vanga. <laughs> we appreciate your time. Uh, go ahead and tell the people where they can find you, uh, YouTube channels, books, anywhere that they can get a hold of you. Uh, let them know. Yeah, um, so everything is on my website, which is Merkaba Chakra. So just M-E-R-K-A-B-A. And then chakras, like your seven chakras. So MerkabaChakras.com. And you can find it all there. Excellent. Thank you very much. Go Thank you for joining it, us. Go get the books. Do Thank it. you, Fire Tribe, for listening. And remember, wake, wake up. up. Wake up.